The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available Pro-Access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available Pro Power onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 2019, the perfect year to talk about the moon landing. It's the 50th anniversary of the first moon landing, if we landed there at all. Dun-dun-dun! A lot of skeptics think that we did not, that we still have not. And I like skeptics. Skepticism is good. To a point, as the cliche goes, it's great to have an open mind as long as it's not so open that your brain falls out. For this episode of The Suck, we're going to look at a lot of anti-moon landing skepticism, and then you can decide if moon landing denial is reasonable skepticism or if wackadoodle brains have indeed fallen out of wackadoodle skulls. Uh, I get why people question the moon landing. I really do. I think the disbelief is less about the moon and more about not trusting the government in general. And the government has for sure lied to us from time to time. And the circumstances surrounding the moon landing further fuel a fake landing scenario. The United States was in the middle of the Cold War space race with the USSR and had everything to gain from getting to the moon first. Getting there first meant winning an important national morale race that had been ongoing for over a decade. The United States had incentive to fake a moon landing. A lot of it. We were extremely concerned with the Soviet Union in the 1950s and the 1960s. The Cold War and the Big Red Scare, very much a part of U.S. national culture at that time. The Russians making it to the moon first would have stabbed U.S. national pride right in the middle of its red, white, and blue heart. If democracy really was superior to communism, if the U.S. really was superior to the Soviet Union, then why did they make it to the moon? We couldn't. Are they better than us? Might sound a little silly now, but the cultural stakes were high. And is it really past the limits of decency for some politicians to come up with some fake space fuckery? How about Richard Nixon and his crew? Nixon was president when the landing went down and he turned out to be a proven liar in a way that was exceptional even for politicians. That dude was the only U.S. president to ever resign and he resigned because he was about to get kicked the fuck out of the Oval Office for the whole Watergate scandal, which involved a lot of big lies. Then also fueling moon landing conspiracies is the fact that we haven't sent another astronaut to the moon since 1972. That was a long time ago. Technology has come a long way since 1972. VHS tapes 
Didn't even come out until 1976. Now a base model cell phone can take and play, you know, record better video than the most advanced technology in 1976. The first mobile phone call happened in 1973. Now almost every 12-year-old in America has a cell phone that doubles as a computer, and that computer is way more powerful than any computer that existed in 1972. So why hasn't space technology evolved in the same way? If we really did land men on the moon between 1969 and 1972, why don't we have bases on the moon now? Why don't we have colonies and malls and Starbucks and rush hour traffic on the moon? Not going back in so long is another reason that a faked moon landing is one of the most popular conspiracies around today. A 1999 Gallup poll found that 6% of Americans believed the moon landing was fake, right? Uh, or faked. That's millions of people who don't believe we actually landed on the moon. Millions of people in just this country. The percentage is much higher in certain countries like Russia. Uh, over 16 million people uh, in the U.S. if that percentage still holds today. That's more people than the population in New York City. More than 33 of 44 European countries. That's a lot of potential wackadoodle. We'll see if we can change that percentage a bit as we take a hard look at how NASA claims it made it to the moon today. We'll examine the space race between the Soviet Union and America that resulted in the controversial moon landing. And we'll look at a variety of theories. Uh, some of them are so good uh, regarding how and why the, the landing was faked today on another conspiratorial edition of Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. <laughs> Happy Monday, you time-sucking meat sacks. Hail Lucifina. I'm thinking about her today for some reason, probably because she's uh, smart and sassy and sexy as hell. I think about her quite often, to be honest. Uh, welcome to the Cult of the Curious. Get ready to have fun stuffing more info into your learning hole. Uh, I'm Dan Cummins, uh, the master sucker, the head meat sack, hovercraft captain of the SS Suck, and you are listening to Time Suck. Uh, I got a solid suck for you today. And, and if you don't stick around for the updates at the end of the show, usually you may want to stick around today. Got some golden ones, some really, really cool updates that uh, really kind of show how, how much this community means to some people and how far it's come. It's uh, pretty inspiring, I think. Uh, thanks so much for the recent iTunes ratings and reviews. Uh, just past 7,000 ratings on iTunes. And those ratings and reviews, uh, they help a ton. They are all appreciated uh, rating and reviewing. Uh, this podcast is the cheapest and best way to spread the suck outside of telling your friends. It has to do with uh, some crazy algorithm over at iTunes that pushes the most rated and reviewed and subscribed podcast to the top of the charts where new people can find a new show. And I always mention iTunes because that's where uh, analysts say the overwhelming majority of people listen to podcasts. Uh, we also exist on you know various Android platforms, uh, tons of third-party uh, podcast players, our very own Time Suck app available in the Apple and Google Play stores. Also on Spotify, Pandora now, and uh, and YouTube. If you want to see my goofy face, if you want to, like, what's he wearing today? What's he wearing when he's talking about this? Well, you can see. Uh, you can see from the waist up, at least. You don't know if I'm wearing pants or not, but that's probably part of the fun. Uh, and on Spotify, you can easily bounce over and listen to six different stand-up albums of mine if you're curious about that. Because I've been hearing it shows that like, oh, you know, this is the first time I've uh, heard any of your stand-up. Well, I got a lot of it. Got a lot of it out there. Uh, if you want to hear some new stand-up, come out to a Happy Murder tour date. I'll be at the Texas Theater in Dallas. This is a, this is the theater where they caught uh, um, Lee Harvey Oswald. Uh, I always I always want to say John Wilkes Booth, but I get the two assassins' uh, names messed up in my head. But this is where they uh, this is where he went after he uh, after he uh, you know supposedly took those shots at JFK. The Secret Group. I'll be there in Houston on the twenty seventh. Uh, they added a late show because the first show sold out. Uh, Eighteen and up for those Texas shows instead of the normal twenty one and up. So get on out there, young suckers. 
I'll be at the punchline. San Francisco, May 1st to the 4th. Live Ant Hill Kids suck on Saturday the 4th. Looking like it's going to sell out. It's going to be a blast. May 9th through the 11th, I'll be at Laugh Boston in Boston, Massachusetts. And then another uh, live Ant Hill Kids suck in Spokane, where it all started. Uh, my comedy career. On Sunday, May 19th, uh, the Comedy Zone in Jacksonville, Florida. I'll be there May 30th, 31st, June 1st. More dates coming up right after those. Uh, ticket info for the entire 2019 Happy Murder uh, stand-up tour at DanComas.tv. And then a, a quick reminder about Time Suck the Gathering. Get your calendars out. Make some vacation plans. April 29th at noon Pacific time. That's when the tickets go on sale for the gathering. A Time Suck social event that'll take place right here in CDA, right here in Coeur d'Alene, where you can see the Suck Dungeon, meet other Time Suckers and Space Lizards, hang out in the heart of Suckdom. Uh, the actual gathering will take place on Saturday, August 17th, 2019. You're going to get a personal tour of the Suck Dungeon, private dinner at the Time Sucker Ran 10 over 6, where they'll have a Time Sucker-themed private menu. Uh, the whole restaurant will be ours for the evening. Uh, there's going to be giveaways, photo booths, all the fun stuff. Tickets are first come, first served. That's why I'm reminding you. It's, it's only 55 tickets. And when they're done, they are done because that's all we can fit at 10 over 6. And this is just a, a test to see how well we can do an event and hopefully build it and make it much bigger for the following year. Uh, so make sure you, you read all the directions when you get your tickets, include your shirt size, mailing address, preferred tour time of the suck dungeon. Um, all right, now let's, uh, let's keep on sucking and suck into the moon landing conspiracy. Uh, space awaits. Right out of the gates. I have to say that uh, looking into the moon landing conspiracies, which led to uh, understanding why we wanted to land on the moon in the first place and why humans are interested in space, space exploration uh, just at all, uh, you know, and the interesting beliefs of many people uh, that they have about the moon, all of it was just a blast of research. A lot of moon info on the web. And, and luckily, uh, not all of it is written by British wackadoodle supreme and conspiracy living fucking legend David Icke. Uh, he has some very interesting thoughts about the moon. Not everyone shares David's belief in the moon matrix. Uh, in David Icke's 2010 epic book, Human Race, Get Off Your Knees, The Lion Sleeps No More, maybe my favorite conspiratorial book, David says, <laughs> and I quote, the moon is the reptilian control center and it is manipulating and regulating life on earth in extraordinary detail. The reptilians are broadcasting a false reality from the moon that humans are decoding into what they think is a physical world. It is a vibrational construct, the same as the reality portrayed in the Matrix movies. The moon, like all, quote, physicality, like that's up for debate, is a waveform phenomenon that we decode into a hologram that only exists as such in our decoded reality. So, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's one school of thought regarding the moon. <laughs> uh, David doesn't think we ever landed on the moon because the moon isn't a moon. It's a vehicle of oppression. It's vibrational frequencies to make, to make you fucking want to just work and not think about the oppressors. Wake up, sheeple! Uh, what we call the moon is some sort of a lizard Illuminati mind-controlled Death Star. If you look hard enough, <laughs> it's unbelievable how many people actually believe that. There are no, no shortage of people uh, who, who don't believe for a hot minute that a human has ever stepped foot on the moon. My own great-grandfather my great-grandpa John apparently uh, was, a, was staunchly uh, believing that the moon landing was a hoax. He didn't buy it for a second. He thought it was all shot on a Hollywood studio. Did Stanley Kubrick actually help show, shoot the whole moon landing scene on a soundstage to help the U.S. win the Cold War, like my grandpa thought? It, is landing on the moon just a fantasy, scientifically impossible, like some people believe? 
at least far beyond our, our current technological possibilities or definitely beyond the, the technological uh, expertise we had in 1969? Or is it definitely possible to land on the moon? What does the science actually say? There's a lot to unpack when it comes to the moon landing conspiracy. Uh, how about we start with a little bit of cultural context? I like that. You know that. Uh, you know, like setting the stage for the, uh, for, for the actual topic. What was happening in 1969 when we supposedly landed on the moon? What was going on in America? What was happening with the whole space race? Uh, July 16th, 1969, that's the day that NASA tricked the world into thinking they launched the Apollo uh, spacecraft 11 carrying Commander Neil Armstrong, Command Module Pilot Michael Collins, and Lunar Module Pilot Edwin Buzz Aldrin. Damn you, Illuminati. Uh, two years after the summer of love, Americans and Russians were itching to get off this rock, take a step towards becoming a multi-planetary species. In the background of the space race between the U.S. and the Soviet Union, a race to see which country possessed superior technology that could be milita- militarized, uh, which nation was scientifically capable of putting a man on the moon, who wins, democracy or communism. There was the Vietnam War, uh, constant fear of the Cold War between Russia and the U.S., you know, turning into some kind of World War III apocalyptic nuclear holocaust. Uh, counterculture and anti-war press culminating in hundreds of thousands of protesters for peace in D.C. Also, several peace-based music festivals were going on. Uh, which included the iconic and largest of 1969 uh, uh, music festivals, Woodstock, with an estimated 400,000 plus people rocking it out for peace. If I could pick one music festival in history to attend, Woodstock would be it, for sure, like hands down. Joe Cocker's rendition of the Beatles with a little help from my friends uh, from that concert may be my favorite live performance uh, of any song of all time. What would you do if I sang out of tune? Would you stand up and walk out on me? Lend me your ears and I'll sing your song. I will try not to sing out of key. Oh, baby, I can buy a little help from my friend. Oh, Look, I love he's like having a seizure on stage when he's just, just shaking his hands all around. Shit speaks to my soul for some reason. Anyway, gas was 35 cents a gallon in 1969. Cost of a home averaged around 15500 bucks. Easy Rider, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid were the most popular movies. Still need to watch Easy Rider. Uh, I'm ashamed I haven't seen it yet. Uh, classic Dennis Hopper. That movie really kind of opened the door for a lot of indie films just in general, by the way. It was shot for almost nothing. Made tens of millions. Uh, it had been a little over a year since the death of Martin Luther King Jr. And there were so many things to be worried and or excited about. Tops amongst them, for many, was space travel partly thanks to uh, uh, massive amounts of pro-space propaganda being pushed on American and Soviet people. Uh, Although there are several other moons just in our solar system alone, we call our moon the moon because fuck other planets' moons. There can be only one Earth moon. Uh, The U.S. moon uh, landing, if it happened, uh, was televised for an audience of approximately 530 million people on July 20th, 1969. That's the day we won the race, if it was real. If it was fake... It was and remains the highest rated short film of all time. Uh, And actually, uh, we still won if it was faked, uh, which I don't believe at all, by the way. Uh, We still won in that case. uh, We just cheated. Uh, Random moon landing trivia on on that summer date. Neil Armstrong actually may not have said his super famous quote. uh, That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Uh, That quote may have been a little bit of a flub. He was actually apparently supposed to say uh, that's one step for a man, one giant leap for mankind. And he may have said that, but that's not what the world heard. Uh, recent analysis shows that the signal was likely muffled. 
Uh, that lack of a, of a single letter certainly doesn't negate any of the awesomeness of the accomplishment. But, but that may have stung a little bit, you know? This, this mush mouth understands this. I think on every stand-up comedy album I've ever made, there are at least four or five jokes that came out a little, little differently than I planned. Uh, my mouth didn't match my brain. And conspiracies about the moon landing started the moment it was televised. Uh, unlike major events of today, the moon landing was not replayed a thousand times. This is part of the, uh, the genesis of the conspiracy, right? It wasn't replayed over and over. It wasn't on a 24-hour news you know, station. It wasn't thrown on the web immediately to, to be dissected by everyone around the world. It was broadcast live just one time. Uh, snippets were then played on certain news programs, but VCRs weren't a thing yet. So almost no one could replay what they'd seen. Without being able to go back and rewatch, some people began to question what they had just witnessed and decided it must have been faked, right? I feel like they, they couldn't comprehend it. I mean, how can we get a TV signal from 200,000 miles away when it was still a pain in the ass to pick up a TV signal from a transmitter on Earth a few miles away? Right? You had to fucking move your little rabbit ear antennas around all the time. Uh, even today, we can still barely get our cell phones to work under certain types of bridges or random dead zones in the middle of major metropolitan areas. How could a moon landing be broadcast perfectly to television sets around the world in 1969, I will admit it's, it's confusing to someone like me who lacks uh, a technological or scientific education. Other concerns people had right away in 1969 were, why was the video footage watched on home televisions actually a recording of the real footage taken on the moon? Basically, why didn't the camera on the moon directly feed into a transmitter that broadcast that signal to home televisions? We'll discuss this in more detail later. But like, why was there an extra step involved? You know, we can get a signal from space, but we, we couldn't afford to plug in an extra RCA cable to run the image directly to a TV. When people found out NASA allegedly filmed the landing with some special cameras specifically built for recording in space, a lot of people started to question if they were really up there on the moon at all. Uh, was there actually a discarded Coke can in one of the shots? That was an early rumor. Um, no, there, there, there wasn't. Why are, why are there no stars in the images? Well, what's with the shadows? How, how would any camera work in the extreme climate conditions of the moon? You know, it really gets really hot and really cold up there. If the moon has one-sixth the gravity of Earth, why didn't it look like that? Why, why weren't they jumping like fucking 200 feet in the air? You know, why, why was Neil Armstrong clearly hanging to the left when he was known to consistently hang to the right when he was on Earth? Why was Benny Hill seen chasing two women in the background for a few seconds? Why did that happen? Why, why, was a, why was there a shadow of a sketchy, bald, creepy Russian guy with his hand down in his sweatpants seen for a moment? What this big deal? Shuttle, chica, teetle, time travel now. A rassle on dark side of moon. Okay, those last three are, are, are nonsense, obviously. But, but the other ones are real, real concerns people had. And, uh, and another big question many conspiratorial-minded folk had was, why would we even actually try to explore space in the first place? Let's start by answering that one. It's a big one with a variety of answers. The question of why we explore space is, is a bit controversial. On one hand, it makes sense intuitively to explore. It's what humans have always done. We love to explore new continents, the depths of oceans, uh, the genitalia of someone we've met shortly before the bar closes. We love exploring. Uh, it's not necessarily logical, but as humans, it is our nature to be curious and explore. Perhaps the more we know about the universe, the more we know about ourselves. There may also be economic and even national security incentives pertaining to checking out what's uh, you know, going on around the earth. What if the moon has a shit ton of oil or gold? Well, there's some uh, Martians out there. We need to light up with some earth ammo. However, with space, it's super expensive to explore. And according to what we've seen via telescopes and with other technology, zero chance of finding any valuable natural resources by anywhere near Earth. So with space exploration, are the risks and expense really worth the rewards? Maybe. 
Uh, we have ended up using a lot of stuff on Earth that was initially designed for space, or at least designed because of uh, you know our, our desire for space exploration. We'll get to some of those advancements in a bit here. Uh, during the Cold War space race, NASA spent $23 billion uh, to either make it to the moon or uh, enrich the fat accounts of various Illuminati members. And today's money adjusted for inflation, that's almost uh, $170 billion. I wonder, I wonder what those Illuminati members bought with all that money. You ever think about that? There's all this talk of like the Illuminati with all these conspiracies. You know, it's all, they're fucking getting them some money. It's the Illuminati getting some money. What are they, what are they buying with it? Like, what are they buying with it that ultra rich people can't already buy? What crazy, exotic, horrific things, you know? What, like like uh, diamond floors and their torture fuck dungeons, you know, and their underground satanic sacrifice lairs. It always goes back to that kind of thought. You know, they're probably buying a bunch of cool ceremonial, like uh, like diamond swords and robes made out of virgin's pubic hair. You know, they're wearing, they're wearing shoes made out of babies' faces. Other super expensive, super evil shit like that. I mean, I certainly don't know for certain, but I assume that if you get a shoe made out of babies' faces, that that's going to cost you a pretty penny. All right? I mean, you got to find someone to take and then kill a baby and then carefully take off that baby's face skin. That's not going to be free. Right? That's going to take some time. Uh, then what if you have really large feet? You, you, then you have to wait for like a perfectly matched set of quadruplets if you want, you know, like a matching set of shoes or really large twins. That's going to take a while to source. You know, there's, there's the whole ordeal. Of how, do you, how do you find a gifted cobbler who specializes in making shoes out of baby's fucking faces? That motherfucker's not going to work for free. Right? Surgeons make more than doctors because they specialize. And with supply and demand economics being what they are, if there's a high demand amongst upper level Illuminati members for baby skin shoes, uh, specifically made out of baby's faces, then there's like probably one cobbler making those bad boys. And that dude or dudette, oh, they're calling their own shots. You know, and I've gotten more than a little off track. And some of those observations uh, came from Jesse Dobner, our editor, by the way. I, uh, I thought I went pretty dark with the baby face skin shoes. And then he took it even further, which is one of the reasons I love him. Uh, okay. What I was trying to say is that space exploration is expensive. And because it's expensive, there is the argument of why do it, right? We got, we got a lot of problems on earth to fix. Why are we spending all this space money? So let's look into how to answer that, that question. Full disclosure, when I was younger, I was totally against space exploration because of all the problems, you know, that I, that I feel like need fixing here on earth. So looking for the, for the answer to this question in particular was very interesting to me. Um, uh, the arguments in, in favor of space exploration based mainly in security, our own scientific understanding, plus lightsabers and TIE fighters and cool ass shit. Uh, just a sheer amount of interest in science fiction can tell you how popular the idea of humans being a multi-planetary species is. Uh, the argument for survival is based on the thought that the universe may not be that safe of a place, right? There's that uh, concern that goes outside of money. Even without some unknown hostile race of space creatures, the universe is one giant killing field with thousands of deadly variables. So many things that can kill us all. Stars exploding, sunstorms, solar flares, space debris, asteroids, black holes, gamma ray bursts, whatever the fuck dark matter is, powerful gravitational shifts. You know, those are a few threats that we could use better understanding of. And even if we don't have to worry about being killed by an outside space threat, we do have to worry about destroying the earth and, and needing to possibly someday relocate. That might sound a little far-fetched to some, but it's a logical concern in my opinion, right? You can't just quickly put together an intergalactic relocation plan. You got to plan ahead for something like that. So it's good to be starting on that now. Uh, the earth is full of all kinds of catastrophes, fires, floods, earthquakes, disease, extreme climates, tyrants with access to nuclear weapons, juggalos, carnies, pineys. Look at here now, I got some pig. This is pig, everything look out of a woman's beard. Right, all kinds of crazy shit. What if a new ice age hits? What if global warming accelerates and crops and livestock die off in mass and trigger global starvation? What if we poison the ocean somehow, throw off our world's entire ecosystem? 
You know, we might need to leave the earth to survive. Space travel would ensure that the human race exists into the future, even if earth is destroyed, which is great for humans, maybe not great for the universe. Uh, if you look at our species like a cancer, like some of my favorite comics have, like Bill Hicks, Doug Stanhope, George Carlin, maybe spreading the human disease across the stars, not ideal, right? Hey, Titan, we're here. And we brought syphilis, Taco Bell, and Pornhub. Nice to meet you. Um, there's also the national security argument in favor of space technology. Uh, technology. You know, the United States has spent a lot of money, uh, about $170 billion over four decades and brain power to fund the Star Wars program that Reagan kicked off in 1983 to add another level of defense against the missiles of hostile powers, looking at you, Russia. Right, this program was designed to intercept missiles at various phases of their flight, but the technology didn't exist to do that in 1983, and it required military technology orbiting the Earth and space to work. So we had to figure some space shit out. Critics of the program, very skeptical of the Strategic Defense Initiative's ability to do what it's purported to do, but, you know, at least we're trying, I guess. Uh, George Lewis, professor at MIT, who assessed the uh, Strategic Defense Initiative in 2010, says the Department of Defense's tests only offer the appearances of success, uh, saying that the tests are carefully orchestrated scenarios that had been designed to hide fundamental flaws. But again, at least we're trying. Uh, currently, President Trump has uh, brought space defense back into the mainstream conversation with his Space Force. In August of 2019, Vice President Mike Pence outlined plans for the new U.S. military branch designed to fight wars in space. This new branch would be equal to other branches of the military and would go into effect in 2020. Is that actually going to happen next year? Are we going to have Marines and other military stations in space? No, no, fuck no, no, no way. But it'd be super cool if we did, right? We're not even close to having that technology now. But if we don't try to develop it now, we're never going to get there. And if we can militar uh, militarize space first, what a huge advantage the U.S. will have uh, in defending itself against threats from other nations or unknown threats uh, from other parts of the galaxy. Uh, China has developed weapons that can destroy satellites. In 2007, they demonstrated this by destroying one of their own. Uh, additionally, Russia has tested missiles that could potentially destroy satellites. If another major world war broke out in 10 or 20 years, space weaponry could play a major role. And of course, there's critics, you know, in spending money on this type of space technology. Uh, critics such as Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, who says maybe, just maybe, we should make sure our people are not dying because they lack health insurance before we start spending billions to militarize outer space. I hear you, Bernie, with your sarcasm. But what about fighting the fucking lizard people, Bern? What about that? No, one, no one's going to care about your stupid health insurance and free educational access if a new, angrier race of space lizards flies over and starts fucking up our planet. And we didn't have the foresight to get some space marines out there with laser guns and force fields and other cool Star Trek shit, Bernie. Anyway, uh... Uh, the Trump administration actually asked for $8 billion over the next five years to continue our quest to militarize space. Okay, to circle back to the financial upside of space exploration, I've teased that a few times. Uh, there isn't any, <laughs> at least not in the short term in some ways, like, like, like in the sense that could we make our taxpayer money back if we venture further out into space? No, 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 no probably, probably not. As I said earlier, it's highly unlikely we're going to find like a, a ton of gold or some other precious mineral or resource. And even if we did, not cost-effective to bring it back from space. Uh, many economists support the idea of letting private businesses explore the stars and put the uh, potential profits and or losses into the hands of these private individuals instead of putting the taxpayers on the line for a gamble unlikely to pay off financially anytime soon, if ever. Uh, Elon Musk, SpaceX Corporation, you know, is one of these companies. I'm in favor of that. That is kind of my libertarian stance. It's like, let's let these companies figure it out, which uh, the government is, is looking into more and more and more by the year. Uh, you know, maybe maybe someone can uh, set up some kind of kick-ass all-inclusive resort on Mars or something with gravity-free pools, space orgies. That'd be a moneymaker. 
Um, and, and actually, uh, while the taxpayers may not benefit from our space technology, um, corporations have made money off technology developed because of space exploration already. Uh, another benefit of the huge project of going to space is, is the scientific advancement that comes with it. Whether space exploration is done by private companies or governments, science and technology that comes from space exploration uh, attempts undeniably beneficial already. I mean, I mean, thanks to the $170 billion we spent in the late 60s, we have sweet shit like Velcro and Tempur-Pedic mattresses. That's, that's not bad. That's probably worth it. I don't like tying shoes. I, w- I want to sleep like an astronaut. But seriously, though, there's, the list of scientific advancements that come from NASA is extensive already. Uh, so uh, like a dick, I, I'm going to read every single one of them. So strap in. This is going to take about three hours. No, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I'm going to break it down into a few categories. Medical tech, transportation, energy tech, everyday tech, and list off a few randoms. Uh, metal tech, uh, medical technology is a big one, tasked with a mission to keep astronauts alive in the most extreme space conditions. NASA contracted scientists that push medical technology to incredible new levels. They're responsible for improvements in X-ray technology, uh, better understanding of osteoporosis, uh, developing improved vaccines, uh, better breast cancer detection and treatment, infrared ear thermometers, artificial limbs, uh, ventricular assistance devices, on and on and on and on. One important research area uh, is growing high-quality protein crystals. Uh, What the hell are those? Well, 100,000 protein crystals can be found in the human body, and the Earth has billions of them. Uh, They are all different, and unlocking the secrets of protein crystals could lead to better drug designs. The microgravity of space makes for perfect, uh, you know, the perfect study of these interesting little guys. Even the areas of robotic surgeries and tumor removal have benefited from NASA scientists. Uh, earlier this year, this is my favorite, uh, those Back to the Future, like hoverboards that Marty McFly was on, they went on sale in China, Japan, and South Korea. That comes directly from the advancements in anti-gravitational technology pioneered by NASA. The YouTube videos are fucking insane uh, about these things. I'm hoping they pass safety inspections in the U.S. soon so I can have one, uh, you know, before I'm, before I'm too old to ride a hoverboard. First models uh, float roughly six inches off the ground. They can hit speeds of over 50 miles an hour, which I know may not sound like that fast, but when you're hovering, I bet it feels like you're going 30 miles an hour. One tech site thinks that future generations will kick the speed of these babies up to over 35 miles an hour uh, by sometime in 2020. That would be fucking amazing. Uh, Apologies to anybody who wants one now like myself, but can't get it because uh, I made that shit up. So, you know, um, that's, that's, that part's not true. Sorry, sorry for getting your hopes up about hoverboards. How excited were you for a second? Some of you were like, fuck, I'm gonna get a hoverboard for Christmas. Uh, you can get one. You can get something called a hoverboard. They, they sell a variety of, uh, handless scooters online called hoverboards, but they're liars because none of them fucking hover. Space exploration technology hasn't led to hoverboards yet, but it, but it's led to other cool products that are real. Uh, besides, uh, sending or pretending to send astronauts to space, NASA engineers have designed a number of cool technologies that have been used to make uh, terrestrial travel easier and more safe. Anti-icing technology, right? Uh, that sounds like it's something to do with hate and cake, but it actually is a pretty neat technology that makes uh, air travel a lot safer. And, and it's also caused me to miss some connections, right? Because the de-icing people at the airport can't get their fucking shit together. And they take too long, in my opinion. So there's also annoyances because of NASA. Highway safety has been upgraded by NASA research in the development and implementation of safety grooves. Uh, these NASA hoaxers have helped improve radial tires. Uh, they've helped improve anything GPS related. I mean, how big is that? We have that on our phones now. We also have NASA to thank for advancements in water and air purification techniques and upgrading to freeze-dry technology. Infrared lights are currently growing food across the globe. We have NASA to thank for that as well. Uh, here's some other random cool uh, products. 
to me, this first one, probably the, the biggest, uh, most important to most people, we can thank NASA for camera phone technology. How important has that become to modern life? Some people based on the Instagram profiles that I look at seem to live almost exclusively for selfies. Like if they had to pick between a selfie or water, I think they would, I think they'd struggle, you know? Uh, initially, uh, diamond hard coatings for aerospace systems were researched, and this technology led to the development of scratch-resistant lenses, which also, you know, led to, uh, you know, scratch-resistant, like, phone uh, screens. Keep all you clumsy motherfuckers from busting your phones while you're, while you're dropping them, making, taking your selfies. Nike Airs. Nike Airs owe uh, part of their design to NASA. Nike Air trainers would not exist if it weren't for suit construction technology developed by NASA. Man, think about that. NASA technology has, has led to fucking better dunks. That's pretty sweet. Even the Black & Decker uh, Dust Buster owes its design to NASA. NASA approached Black & Decker to develop a lightweight device to collect samples on the moon, and then Black & Decker used that technology to create the Dust Buster in 1979. Sex lube. Ah, oh, the porn industry owes a lot of their appeal to NASA. NASA's early research with lubrication led to, well, you know, uh, extra holes being more comfortably and, 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 and more often filled which is a huge part of porn if you've ever looked, you know? Astroglide is based on NASA technology. Astroglide, a clear water-based lubricant was developed by an engineer named uh, Dan Ray while he was working on the space shuttle's cooling systems at Edwards Air Force Base in 1977. Thanks, Dan. And hail Lucifina. I thank you. Uh, also, so many dicks, vaginas, clits, and especially buttholes, thank you. Man, do buttholes, thank you. Oh, rough, rough before consistent quality lube. Uh, also, um, you know, other body areas, probably thank you, like an area between breasts and probably some feet area, you know, maybe between even toes in certain spatial conditions, uh, back of the knee, probably thanks armpits. Thank you. Uh, and God knows whatever, uh, other body parts people have lubed up, um, which I would have known about Astroglide when I, when I took that banana peel into a break room, you know, back when I was 16 years old, I would have had a much better sexual experience if I would have lubed that peel up. Anywho. So many cool, profitable products made thanks to space technology. So space exploration in this way, very profitable. And the list of products, it goes on and on and on. Memory foam developed by NASA in 1966 to absorb shock in airplane seats. Uh, ultimately found uses, again, at Tempur-Pedic mattresses, football helmets, right? Shoes, hospital beds, prosthetics, cars, amusement parks, modern art. Be a lot more concussions in the NFL if it wasn't for uh, NASA technology. So, um, okay, so now why, why do we humans... So now that we know, excuse me, uh, why humans want to explore space, some of the incentive we had to go to the moon, and, and, and we know that space exploration is actually not just a huge waste of money. So, so why can't people accept, now that we've kind of you know, spelled this out, why can't a lot of people accept that we did land on the moon? Well, partly because the, the moon has been a huge source of fascination and wonder since the very first days of humankind. We have a tremendous amount of emotional energy invested in the moon, and, and emotions often not the friend of logic. Uh, before we jump into today's timeline of the supposed moon landing and dig into conspiracies about the moon and check in with the idiots of the internet, so good, so good today. Uh, also ask the big question, if we really did go there 50 years ago, why haven't we been back? Going to answer uh, that stuff. But before we do that, let's go over some moon facts. Let's understand a little more about just what the moon is. Uh, our, moon, our moon is pretty large for a moon, uh, orbiting a planet of our size. And at just uh, 238,856 miles from Earth, it's relatively close for a moon compared to other planets that we know of. Many of the moon hoax theories start because of this relationship. People think it's too perfect. All right, it's so perfect, it's gotta be fake on some level. 
That to me is some seriously paranoid thinking, right? Just, oh, right. Supposed moon just happens to be the perfect distance to move uh, the tides in just the right way. Just close enough to allow the possibility of a moon landing. I ain't buying it. I know you're faking it. I know you are. It's got to be some sort of giant projector, some sort of computer simulation program. There's no way that shit's real. Oh, right. I bet sunsets are real, too. <laughs> I see you, Matrix. You think I'm dumb? You think I'm dumb to fall enough for a perfectly round moon? It's supposed to be a moon? Why, why is it lumpy? Hey, riddle me that. Why is, it, why is it all one color? Why does it look like some kind of light bulb at night? <laughs> okay. Answer me those questions. Why did my wife leave me? Why don't my kids return my text? Why did my mama will her home to my sister? Because she, she said she gave it to me. She, that I would, quote, just piss it all away. Why is there blood in my urine? Why is Uncle Sam fucking with my disability checks? Why, why are insurance investigators following me to the liquor store? There's so many goddamn questions. Anyway, you get what I'm saying. Uh, the moon is pretty perfect, as is Earth. Uh, amazing how perfect our little planet and moon combo really are. Uh, I, I know this emotional thinking uh, uh, is emotional thing on some level, but this perfection is one of the main reasons I consider myself agnostic most days and not atheist, right? I think about this relationship. I, I believe that some creator, some life-giving force beyond the abilities of our comprehension created a planet perfect for life. So why, why wouldn't they create a perfect moon to accompany it? That's just my beliefs. I know, but that's what I believe. Hail Nimrod. Uh, the tides, Perhaps even the Earth's axis, life itself rely on the perfect placement of our rock next door. The sun's diameter is about 400 uh, times the size of the moon and about 400 times as far as, away, making the sun and moon appear the same size to us on Earth. So there's the answer to that question. Uh, the 2,160-mile diameter at the equator gives uh, Earthlings a chance to witness total eclipse of the sun. That's pretty cool. Uh, scientists believe that the core of the moon is likely molten, at least partly. Some of the composition of the moon is unknown, uh, probably lizard tunnels. Uh, the crust of the moon is comprised of mostly uh, oxygen, silicon, magnesium, iron, calcium, aluminum, with other trace elements. Extreme temperature fluctuations exist on the moon, at least compared to Earth. On the moon's surface, uh, highs can, can exceed 260 degrees Fahrenheit. That's 127 degrees Celsius. That's fucking tank top weather, right? If, I, if that's, oh man, that is, that, is, that is sizzling weather. That's when you go up and you're like, man, what's that steam? Oh, that's, that's my skin. Uh, that made the space race not just about, um, oh, no, sorry. Before I say that, and temperatures can go as low. <laughs> this is 280 degrees Fahrenheit in the negative. 173 degrees Celsius. My God, right? Below, in the, with a little uh, little dash in front of it, a little negative. That's, how, that's when you get frostbite on the second one. Um, that's when you turn into some fucking freezer burnt food in second two. So this all made the space race not just about who could build the best rockets and spaceships, but also who could keep a human alive in hellish post-apocalyptic conditions. Right, that could have some use, usefulness if uh, we fuck up Earth too bad. Um, and, and by the way, if you look up, uh, you know, online, the highs and lows list, you know, for moon temperature, it varies considerably. The numbers I just gave you came from what appear to me to be the most legitimate sites. Inconsistent numbers also given conspiracy theorists more ammo. Okay, okay. Now I've given a lot of info. We know a little bit about the moon. Uh, we know a little bit about why we'd want to visit the moon. So now let's jump into today's timeline to look into the space race that supposedly got us to the moon in 1969, right after a quick word from today's sponsor. Today's Time Suck is brought to you by Quip. One of the most important things uh, we do for our health every day is to brush our chomp chomps, right? Yet most of us don't do it properly, which is fine, which is fine if you actually prefer, for whatever reason, dirty, little, rotten, chiclet teeth. What if you don't want that? What if you want healthy whites, right? Quip is a better electric toothbrush created by dentists and designers to help give you those pearly white nourishment shovels. 
Quip was designed to make brushing your teeth more simple, affordable, even enjoyable. Uh, with sensitive sonic vibrations, it's gentle on your sensitive gums. And uh, the built-in two-minute timer uh, pulses every 30 seconds to remind you when to switch sides and guide you to a full and even clean, which is great for forgetful daydreamers like myself. Uh, better yet, Quip uh, does not require a clunky charger. That's probably my favorite feature. I love my Quip. Bring, been bringing it on the road for, uh, for several weeks now. It's so small, it takes up almost no space in my crowded toiletry bag. Because I got lotions and shit in there now. Okay? All right? Yeah. I'm not afraid to say it. For someone who travels as much as I do, size does matter. And I don't have room for a giant electric toothbrush and a big bulky charger. Also, the soft bristles are saving my gums. They feel so, uh, you know, so much better since I started using a Quip instead of my old electric toothbrush, which comparatively was more of like a nail file than a toothbrush. Turns out you don't have to bleed for clean teeth. Who knew? Uh, these are just some of the reasons why I love Quip and why they're backed by over 20,000 dental professionals. Quip starts at just 25 bucks. And if you go to getquip.com slash timesuck right now, you get your first refill pack for free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack for free at getquip.com slash timesuck. Seriously, your teeth are so important. This is, this is a, a good, solid, and cheap brush. If astronauts aren't using it already, they should be. I would totally take a quip on a spaceship. So link to this great deal in the episode description. Button link in the TimeSuck app on website. TimeSuck motherfucking timeline right now. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a TimeSuck timeline. Nineteen fifty-seven, the year I was born. Ah, uh, that's where <laughs> that's where we just started. I didn't. I wasn't born in nineteen fifty-seven. You sons of bitches. Uh, that's, when we, that's where we just arrived uh, in our timeline. The space race between the United States and the Soviet Union was uh, more about politics and technology. It was communism versus capitalism, Westernism, collectivism and central planning versus individual liberty and open markets. To simplify, it was the ideas of the East versus the ideas of the West. While the conspiracy behind the moon landing hoax started right as uh, Neil Armstrong took that first step on the surface of the moon, the space race began over a decade earlier. The competition between the USSR and the United States, and to be fair, a few other nations here and there, uh, was like a prize fight between world champions, but with rockets, right? In this corner, wearing red, white, and blue, trunks weighing in at 172 million citizens who, for the most part, enjoy their lives, especially if they are male and white, we have the United States of America! And in this corner, wearing red and gold trunks, weighing in at 205 million citizens who, for the most part, live in constant fear of imprisonment and or death, regardless of gender or skin color, and hate their lives. We have the Soviet Union. Let's get it on. Right? Is that kind of vibe. The United States ended up winning the battle. And eventually the Cold War, but the space race was an important period in history that in the end helped bring the world together while the root of the conflict simultaneously helped uh, destroy it. Almost, you know. Uh, although the USA and Russia had been working on their own space programs for years, it was Russia who actually drew first blood in the space race with three successful space missions in 1957. On August 21st, 1957, the USSR, uh, who had been working on their space program for a decade uh, already, began their space-worthy intercontinental ballistic missile testing with their Semyorka mission. Uh, on August, yeah, again, uh, uh, on August 21st, Russia put up the, uh, uh, no, I'm sorry. Um, on, on October 4th, 1957, Russia put up their very first man-made satellite into orbit and received signals back with the uh, famous Sputnik 1 mission. By November of that year, they had sent the first living creature into orbit, 
a young and small husky mix named Laika as part of the Sputnik 2 mission. Uh, American journalists dubbed the, the mission Mutnik. Uh, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, Laika did not survive the journey. Poor little guy. He overheated in the cockpit during the craft's uh, fourth orbit around the Earth. Bojangles is furious right now. Bojangles just held up a note saying he's going to time travel uh, back to 1957 and he's going to put a few of those Russian scientists in that shuttle instead. Send them to overheat up there uh, above the Earth while, while he and, and little Laika eat steak and chase cats down here on Earth. Uh, more on animals that led the way for human space travel in a bit. Uh, the United States, desperate to, uh, to fight the propaganda power of the Soviet space successes, put their first satellite into space January 31st, 1958. Uh, this mission, known as Explorer 1, was the first time humans detected the Van Allen radiation belt, which will come into play later in moon landing conspiracies. Explorer 1 revolved around Earth in a looping orbit that took it as close as 350 kilometers, 220 miles to Earth, as far as 2,515 kilometers, 1,563 miles away. It made one orbit every 114.8 minutes, or a total of 12.54 orbits per day. That's cooking up there. The satellite itself was 203 centimeters, 80 inches long, and 15.9 centimeters, 26 and a quarter inches in diameter. Explorer 1 made its final transmission on May 23rd, 1958. It, it entered Earth's atmosphere, burned up on March 31st, 1970, so it lasted a while, after uh, more than 58,000 orbits. Uh, the satellite weighed 14 kilograms, uh, 30.66 pounds. Huh, all right. So uh, it, uh, the, the U.S. Army Ballistic Missile Agency was launched um, or launched the satellite in conjunction, in conjunction, excuse me, with the Jet Propulsion Laboratory based in Pasadena using its Jupiter-to-Sea rocket. rocket. Uh, Pasadena, not far from movie studios in Burbank, right? That's, that's fun for conspiracies. Uh, also, not to be outdone by the Russians, the United States sent three dogs into space, two young golden shepherds named Mickey and Spot, and a black Labrador puppy named Star. Mickey and Spot both died from overheating during the launch. Star survived and uh, lived for 20, sorry for 27 orbits uh, before dying from oxygen deprivation. So pretty cool that the U.S. was able to keep a dog alive longer. I mean, I see that as a win. On March 17, 1958, the Vanguard 1, the world's first solar-powered satellite was successfully launched by the USA, and this was followed by the launch of the world's first working communication satellite a week before Christmas, 1958. Both of these satellites also featured crews of three dogs uh, apiece. Uh, all six of them, this time all black labs, uh, all lasted until their auction ran out. One dog made it to almost 100 orbits before running out of air, so that's progress. Uh, Russia countered the successful U.S. missions with their Luna 1 missions, in early January of 1959, the Luna 1 completed the first engine restart in orbit, uh, became the first human object to be in the heliocentric orbit of the Earth, uh, first satellite to rotate around the barycenter or center of gravity of our solar system, up in the animal ante as well. The Russian stuffed that satellite with no less than a dozen husky mixes. Uh, from February 1959 to August, uh, the United States would punch back and have four more groundbreaking missions. They launched the first ever uh, satellite, Vanguard 2, or excuse me, first ever weather satellite, Vanguard 2, first satellite in polar orbit, Discover 1, Discoverer 1. Uh, they launched a spy satellite with a camera, Discoverer 4, which actually did not work, unfortunately. And August 7th, 1959, the United States Explorer 6 took the first photo of the Earth from orbit. Not to be outdone, the Russians accomplished the first impact into a celestial body as they crashed some shit into the moon during their Luna 2 mission on September 14th, 1959. Uh, they weren't done. Several dogs on that flight. Uh, the Russian, uh, the Russians Luna 3 mission took the first photo of the far side of the moon on October 7th, 1959. They're launching satellites just left and right. 
The United States would have four more space missions in 1960, which included launching the first imaging satellite, the first successful spy satellite. Uh, they recovered the first intact satellite from orbit. And on August 12, 1960, NASA launched the first passive communication satellite with the ECHO-1A mission. Huge gains for Uncle Sam. The Soviets uh, took four consecutive blows from the United States, but they were far from knocked out. Before we continue with the space race, we should acknowledge the sacrifices of, of the, of, uh, you know, many Earthlings before humans uh, that made space exploration and travel possible. Uh, this is just interesting as hell to me. Tons of animals were jettisoned into the deep darkness of space. By the fall of 1959, no less than 186 dogs were sent into space between the U.S. and the Soviet Union. The oldest dog was a 14-year-old greyhound mix named Sally, and the youngest was a 10-week-old Springer Spaniel named Lucky. Lucky actually caught fire during launch in the spring of 1959, so not Lucky. Uh, the most dogs ever launched at one time was 26. They put 26 chihuahuas into the Discover 13 launch. Uh, so, And none of those lived. As I should point out, probably at this point, I should probably point out that I have lied about the dog stuff other than the first Russian dog, Laika. Uh, so sorry, uh, not sorry. It just makes me laugh so hard picturing a lot of you listening, you know, traveling to work and stuff and being like, what the fuck? Why? Why so many dogs? Why do they cram all those fucking chihuahuas in one launch? Why would it? What? What's the scientific benefit of that? But they did do actual animal experiments. So we're not off the hook, animal lovers. Uh, the Russians were the first to send plants and animals into orbit, also the first to have them return alive with the Sputnik 5 mission on August 19th, 1960. That's a huge step, right? You want to find out if you can get an animal back alive before you start sending people up there. Although it was Laika, who can be credited as the first creature to orbit Earth, Belka and Strelka, two Iron Curtain pups, became instantly famous as the first surviving dogs to return from orbiting in space. Uh, these two strays chosen because purebreds were believed to be too coddled for space orbited the earth more than a dozen times before landing the next day, man, they, but they had some strange dog thoughts, uh, heralded as heroes. These Ruski mutts appeared on stamps. Uh, they appeared in Russian propaganda. Uh, they paved the way for the first human in space just a year later for their unprecedented hard work. The two dogs upon their death were stuffed. Yep. Mounted and put on display with the capsule. They traveled in at the cosmonautics, uh, yeah, Cosmonautics Memorial Museum in northern Moscow. Not kidding. The U.S. also had at least one stuffed space animal. Uh, space Monkey was at one time uh, on display in the U.S. National Air and Space Museum in Washington, D.C. Abel, a female rhesus monkey, was born in Independence, Kansas, and she flew inside a Jupiter nose cone with Baker, a female squirrel monkey, on uh, May 28, 1959, in a little army experiment designed to test the biomedical effects of space travel. Launched from Cape Canaveral, they reached a maximum altitude of 300 miles Traveled downrange 2,000 miles at speeds reaching 10,000 miles per hour before re-entering the Earth's atmosphere and being recovered by Navy ships. Both monkeys survived the trip, uh, but then Abel died from the anesthesia during a routine post-flight operation, and then they had Abel stuffed. Can you imagine if we did that with people? Like, like if you could go to the Space Museum and just check out Neil Armstrong? <laughs> like, if NASA had a taxidermist just go to work immediately when he died in 2012? At the age of 82, just sad glass eyes staring out from a mummified face. Everyone, some wild family members swing through to pay their respects. The museum just drop off some flowers by his feet, you know, in between Asian and European tourists snapping off selfies in front of his dead, creepily preserved body. Uh, one year for an April Fool's joke, you know, they, they, they bring the taxidermist back in and put deer antlers on his head, make him some kind of like a jackalope, like a human version of that. <laughs> anyway, the army tra uh, transferred able to... Uh, to uh, the NASM in 1960 and then the Natural Museum of Natural History preserved her. Uh, the first four-legged space survivors, Belka and Stroka, have an interesting story as well. 
as, as all the Soviet space dogs were, the two heroes were rigorously trained to survive in the tight spaces of the capsule to endure extreme acceleration and probably not to lick each other's uh, butts and vaginas quite as much as my dogs Penny and Ginger do, uh, which horrifies Lindsay, by the way, every time she sees it happen. Uh, Hail Lucifina, uh, Praiseful Jangles. I'm not sure which one to, uh, you know, to, to mention there. Uh, before Strelka passed away, she gave birth to a puppy named Pushinka, and that, and that puppy was given to President JFK's family as a gift by Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev. Uh, Pushinka um, lived at the White House, was affectionately known as Fluff. In 1963, Fluff gave birth to four pups, Butterfly, terrible name for a dog, White Tips, also pretty bad, Blackie, probably the worst, and Streaker, which is just gross. Uh, the pups were a popular White House attraction, and their descendants are still alive today. I, I doubt Soviet space pups are AKA, uh, AKC registered, but they're probably not cheap either. Pretty cool pedigree. They have a dog descended from a space dog. Uh, January 31st, 1961, the U.S. Uh, said, fuck dogs, and sent the first surviving hominid into orbit, a four-year-old chimpanzee known as Ham the Astro Chimp. Uh, this brave and or scared out of his poor mind early astronaut was part of the Mercury Redstone 2 mission. Uh, that probably stinky and almost certainly opinionated bastard lived until 1983 and then went on to write se uh, several successful books, including the New York Times bestselling uh, children's book, I Pooped in Space. And his popular uh, autobiography, uh, Ham, uh, fuck human beings for sending me into space. Uh, but for real, Ham was named after the uh, Halliman Aerospace Medical Center. It was the first earthling to perform tasks in space, not just go on the scariest goddamn ride those animals had ever seen. Uh, my God. Uh, Ham was trained to pull levers, uh, trained to receive some tasty banana treats and to avoid being shocked. Poor Ham. Several monkeys and apes got to take trips into the stars. The first were uh, actually before the official space race began. Uh, the first living creatures, possibly, uh, besides possible bacteria, were fruit flies, sent up in 1947 by the U.S. In 1948, the first of many simians went up with a bunch of uh, science-loving Soviet assholes, duct-taped, uh, oh, uh, oh, sorry. The first of many simians went up when a bunch of science-loving Soviet assholes duct-taped Albert the Space Macaque, or Macaque, Macaque, I kind of like Macaque, Macaque, uh, Space Macaque uh, strapped to a V-2 rocket. Shot him 39 miles towards the stars before that brave little fucker suffocated during the flight. Uh, okay, he wasn't duct taped, but the technology was still in the early stages and he didn't survive. Uh, Albert was followed by Albert II, who survived his terrifying V-2 rocket flight, managed to travel 83 miles into space, but died on the way back from a parachute failure, June 14th, 1949. Technically, Albert II was the first primate in, in space as his trip passed the Kármán line. Uh, a little bit about the Kármán line. The Kármán line is the place where the distinction between the Earth's atmosphere and space sits. The border of space sits at 110 kilometers or 68 miles above sea level. And, and if Illuminati space lizards are hiding up there, like some wackadoodles actually believe, you could say they're Carmen chameleons. <laughs> you see what I did? Carmen, 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 chameleon. Okay, I'll show myself out. Back to monkeys in space. Albert uh, III, Albert IV uh, would also get strapped into B-2 rockets, would also die to move technology forward. Uh, they would continue to name these uh, macaques Albert, it would, and most would continue to not survive. They would suffocate, burn up, freak out, or the parachute wouldn't open. My God. Now, I'm going to be honest. I feel a little bit sad about the dog lie earlier. Uh, I didn't know that a real-life uh, monkey horror show was coming up right around the corner when I made that shit up. I had no idea these poor space monkeys were going to be lighting up like sparklers or violently smashing into the earth after falling for thousands and thousands of feet. It's ridiculous. When I first read this the other night, I actually thought I was getting loopy, and then I was making this up. Uh, the United States seemed to prefer monkeys, while the Ruskies did use a lot of dogs. God dang it. Uh, they had 57 dogs were used as part of the space program. Now, now I feel bad about the dog lie even more. Um, it's all so much worse than I imagined. Why, why didn't they just use, like, repeat sexual offender, like pedophiles instead? Right? Send them up. 
The world has no shortage of them, and who cares if they don't make it back? Uh, the very first dogs were Tizgen and uh, Zeke. They reached space July 22nd, 1951, but they did not orbit. It would be several years before Laika would be the first. They were, however, the first mammals to be successfully recovered from a space flight. Um, uh, many animals paved the way for human space flight and are still used to increase our understanding of the effects of microgravity. All sorts of monkeys, chimps, dogs, mice, wasps, beetles, tur- <laughs> uh, tortoises, worms, fish, rabbits, bees, ants, crickets, rats, snails, urchins, moths, brine shrimp, jellyfish, guinea pigs, butterflies, scorpions, cockroaches, bullfrogs, garden spiders, uh, tardigrades, even even 10 space newts, probably a couple of Roanoke recluses made into orbit, probably some of those ombre asino ants, right? Getting getting uh, space tough as well. Uh, for you cat fanatics, Fran sent the first kitty into space, October 18th, 1963. That astro kitty was named uh, Felicette, uh, successfully recovered after parachuting back to Earth. I mean, like, and, and, when I, and I say that, I picture the cat fucking jumping out and pulling like a ripcord and then just like shooting down. It was the, it was, you know, the, the, the little space fucking whatever. Now I'm blanking on the word, some kind of ship. You know what I'm talking talk about? The little spaceship had the parachute, not the cat, which would have been even better. Okay. Okay. All right. Back to the space race. February 12th, 1961, Russia completes the first launch from Earth's orbit made many technological advancements, including the first mid-course corrections, the first spin stabilization with the Venera 1 mission. Uh, then a few months later, they would crank the space race up to 11. On April 12th, Yuri uh, Gagarin became the first human to achieve spaceflight, right? The, the Russians are winning now. The, Vol- the, the Vostok 1 mission became a massive card in the Cold War propaganda game. Not to be outdone, the U.S. would quickly respond. On May 5th, Alan Shepard would pilot the first manually controlled space flight and complete the first ever piloted mission. Freedom 7, Russia, not impressed. We already make it to space. We have man in space. It's no problem. So I stay, so you stay longer. You want, you want to impress us? <laughs> you get the moon. You plant flag. Then I impress. Then you win. Uh, the Soviet Union achieved the first planetary flyby of Earth's neighbor Venus on May 19th. And then on uh, May 25th, 1961, President JFK gave his famous, we're going to the moon speech, asked Congress for $531 million to put a Yankee on the moon before the end of the decade. It would go on to cost over $30 billion. Uh, the American response to Russia's uh, recent successes was uh, to put the first orbital solar observatory in March of 1962, put that up there, and, and, and then impact the far side of the moon for the first time with the spacecraft in April of 1962. Then out of nowhere, the UK jumped into the space fund uh, didn't expect that. The UK became the third country to get a satellite up in space with their Aerial One satellite. Uh, the US uh, helped put the first commercial satellite uh, into orbit for a private company, excuse me, uh, AT&T on July 10th, 1962. That's a big moment, the privatization of space or privatization of space, excuse me. Uh, there are now hundreds of private satellites in space. There's actually over 1,100 active satellites between government and private, plus nearly 3,000 satellites that are no longer working. Um, so you see, like, it wasn't just about when conspiracy theorists are saying, like, we never made it to the moon. They're, they're really discounting much more than, like, uh, you know, a few trips to the moon. They're discounting, like, this entire space race. Because it's not like it just the technology came out of nowhere, right? They're thinking that the, the, the Russians and the U.S. just made up all of this shit. Uh, on August 12th, the Soviets cranked up the technological uh, know-how. Uh, when the Vostok 3 and Vostok 4 missions became the first simultaneous flights, or Vostok, Vostok uh, uh, 3 and 4, uh, first simultaneous flights of multiple crewed vessels. They also achieved the first ship-to-ship uh, radio contact. 
On December 14th, the U.S. made their own flyby of Venus with the Mariner 2 mission. Uh, you know, Russia's like, we, we already do that. So it's no big, why, why are you copy? We, we do that already. Uh, June 16th, 1963, Russia once again upped the ante with the Vostok 6 mission by sending Valentina Tereshikova, the first woman in flight and first civilian into space. A few days later, the Soviets would break the five-day human flight record. Three days later, on July 19th, NASA sent up the first reusable piloted space plane with suborbital X-15. They would also send up two more advanced satellites in December of 1963 and August 1964. And then the Russians would counter with a couple of space race haymakers. Over a year later, on October 12th, 1964, the Russia, uh, uh, Russian Voxod-1 sent the first multi-person craft into space. Then on March 18th, 1965, they achieved the first spacewalk on the Voxod-2 uh, mission. Or Voskhod, two mission. Boom, right? Two to the jaw. Uh, the United States would have their first spacewalk on June 3rd, 1965, with the Gemini 4 mission. July 65, NASA did their first flyby of Mars. In August, the crew of the Gemini 5 broke the record for the longest space flight with eight days in orbit. In December, the Gemini 6A and Gemini 7 would make sweet spaceship love. They'd spaceship fuck, becoming the first crafts to rendezvous in space. Getting it on! Docking! Pods and holes! Uh, December 18th, 1965, NASA and the Gemini 7 crew increased the space flight record to two weeks. Russia countered February 3rd, 1966 with the first ever soft landing on the moon, the first pictures ever taken from another celestial body. To add to the taunting, the Russians were the first to impact another planet when their Venera 3 contacted Venus. Back and forth, back and forth, making sure, uh, you know, we put our flag on the fucking moon for it's making more and more sense when you think about this context. Right, we didn't just randomly decide to do that and then just not go back, you know, for years after a few more missions. Right, this is it built towards this. On March 16, 1966, NASA and the crew of Gemini 8 successfully docked. Uh, right, they're getting it on too. In April that year, the Soviets then put the first satellite around the orbit of the moon. Uh, the United States returns with a demonstration of superior rocket power. Um, and in November, the crew of the Gemini 12 mission would complete a record five and a half hour spacewalk and demonstrate that people could do practical work in space. In late of October, 1967, uh, the Russians docked some, uh, remote control vehicles in space, right? More back and forth. On December 7th, 1968, the U.S. launches the, uh, ultra, ultraviolet observatory, OA-01. Two weeks later, on December 21st, Apollo 8 launches, uh, and on December 24th, they become the first human crewed flight to orbit the moon. Also the first human spacecraft to ever be under the influence of gravity from another celestial body. Uh, and then the Soviets answer back with the Soyuz 4 and 5 missions, where they had uh, the first exchange of crew between two ships in space. So that's impressive. But not nearly as impressive as what Americans would do next. The Apollo missions would usher the knockout punches for the United States in the space race. So now we've made it to that big controversial year for conspiracy theorists, 1969, right? When the Apollo mission supposedly culminated into uh, the, the first moon landing. On March 3rd, 1969, the spacecraft known as Apollo 9 was launched. This test mission's three-member crew included the super not famous astronauts, James McDivitt, David Scott, and Russell Schweikart. Uh, Apollo 9's mission was to test the entire spacecraft, including the lunar module and the Saturn V rocket. The, uh, the Apollo 9 crew spent 10 days in space doing spacewalks, several technical tests, being the first crewed flight of the lunar module. Uh, two months before the moon landing would take place on May 18th, three absolutely forgotten names in history crewed the essential mission known as Apollo 10. It was basically a complete practice run at the moon landing, minus the actual landing. Crew members Thomas P. Stafford, nope, never heard of him, was the mission commander. 
John W. Young, uh, command, uh, command module pilot in Eugene A. Cernan. Who? That was the lunar, lunar module pilot. Um, they would test all aspects of the upcoming moon mission, including a lunar over orbit and a descent to just nine miles above the surface of the moon. Man, they came so close. Nobody knows their names. After eight days, several transmissions and various systems tests later, they returned to Earth safely. Uh, and then after decades of work and a great deal uh, of treasure spent and a war-fueled space race that pushed the preposterous idea that a man could step on the moon, it became a miraculous reality. Or one of the greatest hoaxes of all time. Apollo 11 will be crewed by the two most famous astronauts in history and also by one uh, almost totally forgotten guy. Uh, there will be commanding officer James Tiberius Cook, first officer and science officer Spock, and then the much lesser known chief medical officer, Leonard McCoy. And that is the Starship Enterprise. Uh, Neil Armstrong was the commander of Apollo 11. Uh, Buzz Aldrin, the second man to walk on the moon, was the lunar module pilot. And then, oh, poor Michael Collins was back in the, the fucking back of the stage playing bass. Michael Collins was uh, actually the command module pilot and third crew member. On July 16th, 1969, Apollo 11 is launched from the Kennedy Space Center Launch Complex 39 in Merritt Island, Florida. On July 19th, the craft passes behind the moon and begins lunar orbit. On July 20th, at 2017 UTC Coordinated Universal Time, the lunar module known as the Eagle separates from the command module Columbia. The Eagle then lands. The Eagle has landed, right, on the moon in a place called the Sea of Tranquility. The crew is asked to sleep. This is one of my favorite details. The crew is asked to sleep before stepping onto the surface of the moon. Uh, just take a little nap, right? Right when you get there. The men reported being too excited uh, and unable to sleep. But yeah, whose fucking dumb idea was that? Are you kidding me? That goes against everything in human nature. Hey, uh, when you land on the moon, before you get out the fucking step, step on the moon and take the, the greatest steps in mankind, I want you to take a little nap first, right? Just lay down, read, read a book, fall asleep for a little bit. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Incredible news, everyone. We have found the lost city of Atlantis. Mermaids, sea serpents, wizards. The most incredible city you've ever seen at the bottom of the Atlantic. Uh, it's enclosed in a giant protective shield. It's going to change everything we know about Earth. Uh, there's some other civilizations living inside there. Team Alpha, you're going to be entering the city at noon tomorrow in a special new submersible designed for just this monumentous occasion. When you enter, you're going to see technology you've never seen. A new race of beautiful people, streets of gold and jewels. The secrets of God and the universe may be unlocked in Atlantis. As soon as you get there, we want you to lay down. Why don't you take a nice long nap? Don't, don't rush it. Uh, just lay down immediately after arriving in the most exciting environment any human has ever seen. And just fucking take a quick little nap. There's going to be naked mer people. They're probably going to come uh, ask you, you know, to come inside the ship and have sex with you. It'd be, I'm sure it's going to be amazing. Tell them to come back after you've gotten your rest, right? Nap first, then exciting shit. That's not how life works. Anyway, just six hours later, on July 21st, 2.56 UTC. Uh, Neil Armstrong utters his famous line, that's one step for a man, a giant leap for mankind. Buzz Aldrin can be heard muttering in the background. God damn it, I want to fucking be the guy who stepped out of No, Buzz Aldrin was the second man to walk and speak on the moon 19 minutes later. No one cares what he said. He described what he saw as magnificent desolation. No one was paying attention. They were like, fucking Neil Armstrong was the best. And Buzz like, no, I'm, I'm here too, you guys. I'm walking around and I'm saying even cooler stuff. Like, yeah, whatever. Hey, anyway, Neil, oh, I can't wait for him to get back. And then Michael Collins, like, no one was even, anyway, even knew he was there. Uh, it's right around here that conspiracy theorists actually believe these dudes, <laughs> this is, we're going to get to this later. It's my favorite part of the suck. Some people actually believe that around this time that these guys met Nazis or aliens or ancient Sumerian gods uh, or, you know, uh, had a coffee break 
while they're waiting for Stanley Kubrick to stay action again. Later on the 21st, the lunar module reconnects with the command module, Columbia, with all three pioneering space apes inside, and they start the journey back to Earth. Three days later on the 24th, the Columbia splashes down in the Pacific Ocean. Um, randomly, it, when it landed, it hit a dog that was swimming out there, and one more dog would die because of the NASA stuff. <laughs> that, no, that's, I don't even know why I said that. This is the official story of the first moon landing. And the three astronauts who were part of this mission uh, have never wavered in their telling of the story. If this didn't happen, these men are lying, as are many other men who claim to have stepped on the moon in the years that followed. In 1969, Pete Conrad and Alan L. Bean landed on the moon as part of the Apollo 12 mission. Guess they lied too. 1971, Alan Shepard and Edgar D. Mitchell landed as part of the Apollo 14 mission. Liars. Also in 71, David Scott, James B. Irwin land as part of the Apollo 15 mission. Liars. The following year, 1972, John Young and uh, Charles M. Duke Jr. land. Paid off by Freemasons, to say that, obviously. And then in 1972, Eugene A. Cernan and Harrison Jack Schmidt landed or were bribed by officers of the Bohemian Grove. All Americans, by the way, the Soviet Union never did land anyone on the moon. Uh, to this day, only the United States, the USSR, and China, they're the only countries to ever land anything on the moon. So anyway, all 12 astronauts who landed uh, have to be lying for a moon landing conspiracy to be true. Also lying are all the other crew members associated with these missions. Okay, so now before digging into the conspiracies, let's take a little closer look at the first three uh, men conspiracy theorists think are full of shit. The first three men that, uh, you know, the part of that mission, the conspiracy theorists think are national traitors, uh, some of the worst liars and con men the human race has ever produced. And let's do that by hopping out of today's Time Suck timeline. Good job, soldier. You've made it back. Barely. Okay, the, the 12 different dudes who set foot on the moon, uh, not just random jackasses, heavily vetted tough people. These guys had flight experience, a lot of it, backgrounds in engineering. They had to have degrees, you know, in, in some kind of relevant field like engineering or medicine or physics or biology or chemistry. They weren't launching just some old random jackass into orbit, you know? They weren't going into the gas station and checking out who was cleaning the floor and be like, ah, you, we're fucking sending you into space. They're launching the best of the best. And one of the very best was Neil motherfucking Armstrong. Uh, Neil A. Armstrong, born in, uh, ah, these words, Wapakoneta, Ohio. Uh, on August 5th, 1930, Neil was a successful navial, a navial? He was a navial guy, you guys. He worked in the navial. No, he was a successful naval aviator from 1949 to 1952. Then he joined the Naval Advisory Committee for Aeronautics in 1955. That would later be dissolved and reborn as NASA. Armstrong would go to be the uh, project pilot for over 200 different models of aircraft, including the high-speed prototype Project uh, uh, X-15. Uh, this, this thing could fly at over 4,500 miles per hour. This dude's a badass pilot. He became an astronaut in 1962. He was first assigned as command pilot for Gemini 8, where he performed the first successful docking. Yeah, he did the first USA space fucking uh, in March of 1966. And then 1969, as we stated, he became the first man to land a craft on another world and to step on its surface. He would go on to be the deputy associate administrator for aeronautics at NASA at their headquarters in Washington, D.C. Here, he oversaw the aeronautics research and technology that NASA worked with. You don't do those kind of things if you're a dummy. Uh, I don't think you do all that and then just dupe the American public with a big fake moon landing story, but that's, that's just me. From 1971 to 79, Neil was a professor of aerospace engineering at the University of Cincinnati. 
He then entered into the private sector to crush it and become chairman of computing technologies for aviation incorporated out of Charlottesville, Virginia. He has a bachelor of science degree in aeronautical engineering from Purdue, master of science in aerospace engineering from UCLA, holds honorary doctorates from several other universities. He's been decorated by 17 countries. He's held a number of prestigious titles, several awards like the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the Congressional Gold Medal, NASA's Distinguished Service Medal, and the Royal Geographic Society's Gold Medals, just to name a few. He passed away in 2012 at the age of 82, and he was a tough son of a bitch up until the end. Uh, Neil, actually, during his uh, final interview in 2012 at the age of 82, uh, did address the moon landing uh, conspiracy theories. Uh, He said people love conspiracy theories. I mean, they are attractive. They are very attractive. But it was never a concern to me because I know one day somebody is going to fly back up there and pick up that camera I left. Love it. Uh, Some moon landing conspiracies go so far as to say that NASA even tricked Neil, Buzz, and the other astronauts into thinking they just went to space and the moon. Get the fuck out of here. That is the dumbest notion, right? These guys are way too, these are highly educated, highly trained. You're not going to fucking trick them into thinking they're on another planet if they're on this planet. That's absurd. Uh, yeah, that's just, you, you, something is very wrong with your brain if you think that's possible. Uh, Buzz Aldrin, also an incredible man. He attended West Point and graduated third in his class. He flew F-86 Sabre jets and 66 combat missions in the Korean War, was decorated with the Distinguished Flying Cross. He flew F-100s in Germany, then earned his doctorate of science in astronautics at MIT. He wrote his doctoral thesis on manned orbital rendezvous. He was the first astronaut when he was selected in 1963 to have a doctorate, and his peers called him Dr. Rendezvous. Uh, NASA still uses the rendezvous techniques he developed today. He was also one of the underwater training pioneers to help simulate spacewalking. This badass to the extreme is credited with the first successful spacewalk or extravehicular activity, EVA, set a record of five and a half hours. After a trip to the moon, he would author nine books, including the New York Times bestseller, No Dream is Too High, Life Lessons from a Man Who Walked on the Moon. That's a great title. Uh, and even a children's book, Welcome to Mars, Making a Home on the Red Planet. He has an asteroid and a moon crater named after him. He started his Share Space Foundation to push STEAM education. STEAM stands for Science, Technology, edu- uh, Engineering, Arts, and Math uh, for kids K through 8. He also started his own space institute in 2015 to help uh, develop a vision for a permanent home for humans on Mars. And he's still alive today, 89 years young. Does this sound like the kind of guy who could be tricked or convinced to lie about a moon landing? He's been accused of being a fraud, obviously, and he doesn't care for it. I I love this story. This is a tough son of a bitch, man. In 2001, uh, a 37-year-old filmmaker named Bart Sibrel and a cameraman surprised Buzz's uh, Apollo mission buddy then 71-year-old Neil Armstrong at an event in New York City. Bart, became, uh, Bart came armed with a Bible, demanded that Neil Armstrong swear on it and swear that he really walked on the moon. And then he was kicked out of the event, rightfully so. Neil didn't owe this fucking lunatic anything. I hate people like Bart, right? Somebody makes a, a public address and then they specifically, hunt him, but I want you to tell it to me. You look in my eyes and you tell me. No one gives a shit about you, right? You fucking weirdo. Uh, a year later, Bart then made the mistake of going after Buzz Aldrin. Uh, with presumably the same tactics, maybe even the same Bible. And then at 72 years old, Bart, uh, excuse me, Bart and Buzz, he's fucking name. Buzz epically punched 38-year-old Bart right in the jaw. And he became one of my heroes forever. Bart had lured Buzz to a Beverly Hills hotel under the pretext of an interview for a Japanese children's television show that wasn't real. It was an ambush. 
right? Bart set him up. Uh, when Buzz left the hotel after realizing there was no one there that was going to interview him, Bart approaches him with a small camera crew uh, of, you know, some other pieces of shit. Buzz refuses to speak with Bart. Bart yells at him, you're the one who said you walked on the moon when you didn't. Then he got in Buzz, then he got this, old, uh, this older guy's face. And he calls Aldrin a coward and a liar and a thief. I've watched this video so many times. Aldrin then asks Bart, will you get away from me? And Bart, because he's a complete piece of shit human being, does not. And then Buzz socks him in his fucking face. And I've watched the footage of this punch over. It's one of my favorite punches of all time. I watched it yesterday about 30 times. There's compilation videos on YouTube that just show it going over and over and over. And I smile every time. Great form. Great form. He doesn't rear back. Just a solid pop. Just, you know, forward thrust. Right to the jaw. Perfect technique. Uh, I wish he would have followed it by curb stomping Bart's fucking head into the ground. Uh, and Bart, by the way, has one of the most punchable faces you will ever see. He looks like a villain in an Adam Sandler movie, right? He looks like 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 some, some pudgy trust fund kid. But my dad said I could do what I wanted to. Fucking punch! And then Bart, being the weaselly little cowardly shitbird that he is, runs away, tries to sue Aldrin for assault. The charges will be dropped when the court ascertains that Bart clearly provoked Buzz. Hail Nimrod. Uh, so that's that guy. Michael Collins also appears to be a man of great integrity. Michael Collins also graduated from West Point. Uh, he became an experienced military fighter pilot and test pilot. So I, I keep flashing back uh, to maybe like that punch also came from a, a place of anger that had nothing to do with Bart. It would be even better if, if uh, while he punched Bart in the jaw, I should have been first to step on the moon. I, I was the better astronaut, something like that. Um, anyway, Michael Collins graduated from West Point, became an experienced military fighter pilot, test pilot. Uh, he became the first son of a bitch to orbit the moon alone. During his orbit, while Armstrong and Aldrin did moon shit, he, he, he would lose communications with the Earth and the other two astronauts. Uh, right. There's that weird, like little two minute, like uh, dark period when conspiracy theorists think a lot of weird shit with aliens happened. He's quoted as saying, I'm alone now, truly alone and absolutely isolated from any known life. I am it. If a count were taken, the score would be 3 billion plus two over on the other side of the moon and one plus God knows what's on this side. What a great quote. Uh, in 2016, in an interview, the then still very active 85-year-old said he performed in one mini triathlon a year at 85. Dude's a winner. Dude's a champion. These extremely accomplished men uh, are who the moon landing hoaxers are calling shitlords, who they're calling liars. And I don't like that. Uh, also, a lot of their friends died so we could land on the moon, which kind of pisses these guys off, right? Kind of a big deal to do that. A 18 astronauts have been killed in five separate incidents. The fallen American astronauts are memorialized at Space Mirror Memorial at the Kennedy Space Center in Florida, while the cosmonauts are generally buried at the Kremlin Wall Necropolis in Moscow. Uh, among the fatal tragedies are two space shuttle explosions, 1986's Challenger explosion killing seven and 2003's Columbia explosion killing seven more. Additionally, 11 other astronauts have been killed in training. And all of this for a hoax? I mean, think, think about this, just with a little bit of logic. All of this for a hoax? Okay. Now we've made it to the conspiracies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A general rule for tearing apart a feasible conspiracy theory is based on how many people knew about it. In this case, it was thousands. Moon hoax truthers will say everything was compartmentalized. And that's true. Uh, but there are a few people who have come out, even on their deathbeds, to decry the truth of the hoax. Uh, this might be a good time to bring up another person whose reputation gets thrown into the bullshitification of the moon landing. Uh, Stanley Kubrick. 
right? The legendary filmmaker who in 1968 filmed the masterpiece Space Odyssey 2001, number one suspect to have directed the hoax. Uh, And most people who believe that the moon landing was fake seem to believe that it was filmed and that he filmed it, right? This is the main conspiracy. Uh, I guess Kubrick is a good candidate to have filmed the hoax. I mean, after all, he, he did make a pretty cool space movie, you know, just a year earlier. In 2015, the Kubrick theory gained even more traction when a fake interview, complete with a pretty convincing actor, was made and released by T. Patrick Murray. Mr. Murray, who has never officially admitted this was a hoax, created a film called Shooting Kubrick, where an actor playing Kubrick seemingly admits to filming the moon landing in his studio. It's an obvious hoax with the main actor at times breaking character and Murray calling the guy Tom. But like all internet horse shittery, there are armies of credulous fuckwits willing to embrace and disseminate this particular bit of information. Uh, perhaps the best way to put perspective in the, in the Stanley Kubrick aspect of the hoax theories, the most efficient way to put his involvement to bed, to rest, is to hear what Stanley's daughter Vivian Kubrick has to say about her father's alleged involvement. She said, Surely, an artist such as my father, whose profound degree of artistic integrity is self-evident, whose political social consciousness is manifestly manifestly present, excuse me, in nearly every film he made, whose highly controversial subject matter literally put his life at risk, and yet he continued to make the films he's made. Don't you think he'd be the very last person ever to assist the U.S. government in such a terrible betrayal of its people? There are many very real conspiracies that have happened throughout our history, are happening presently. I'm only too aware of the dreadful manipulations perpetrated by governments, secret services, banksters, the military-industrial complex, etc. But, Claims that the moon landings were faked and filmed by my father? I just can't understand it. How can anyone believe that one of the greatest defenders of mankind would commit such an act of betrayal? My father's artistic works are his unimpeachable defense. Finally, my love for my father notwithstanding, I actually knew him. I lived and worked with him. So forgive my harshness when I state categorically the so-called truth these malicious cranks persist in forwarding that my father conspired with the U.S. government to fake the moon landings is manifestly a grotesque lie. So there you go. Make that what you wish, meat sacks. All right, so where did these moon landing conspiracies get started? There are many sources of moon hoax claims. Russian authors and researchers have been publishing books like Yuri uh, uh, Mukin's uh, Anti-Apollo, uh, lunar scam of the USA for years. A lot of the uh, moon landing propaganda has come from Russia. Uh, this is where some motivation to point fingers at Stanley Cooper comes from. As recently as 2018, Russians have been molding the space race to be in their favor. Dmitry uh, Rogozin, the head of the Russian space agency, uh, Roscosmos, announced that Russia was preparing a moon mission to, amongst other things, check to see if the US did actually land on the moon. I actually found a 2018 Russian study that said 57% of Russians do not believe Americans ever landed on the moon. In fact, again, a lot of this propaganda comes from Russia. Uh, What's interesting, though, is that Russian cosmonauts back in 1969 did not doubt that Americans landed on the moon, probably because those dudes were very intelligent and smart enough to understand that we did, in fact, have the scientific uh, scientific capability to do what we claimed. Uh, Not all of the anti-moon landing rhetoric started in Russia, uh, Bill Kazin, the Chicago author of We Never Went to the Moon, America's $30 billion swindle, uh, first published his conspiracy claims in the U.S. Uh, back in 1976. A lot of current popular claims about moon hoaxes come from this uh, fucking crank of a book. Some of his uh, claims included that the Apollo lander uh, did not create blast craters, uh, no dust was disturbed on the lander's legs or from the engine blast, and a bunch of tinfoil favorites I'm about to go through. 
Uh, a big part of the need for conspiracy theories is general disdain for people who are in charge of things. In the case of the U.S. moon mission, it started good. People loved it when JFK gave speeches about space. But people felt less comfortable with people like Henry Kissinger, Dick Cheney, Donald Rumfeld, uh, Richard Nixon. Uh, part of conspiracy beliefs is the uh, is that conspiracies do exist and the proven distrust in one area can lead to paranoia in others. Right. Um, perhaps the most popular and, and amongst the easiest moon landing hoax conspiracy to debunk is is the is the waving flag on the windless moon. How could that happen? Well, when Neil Armstrong claimed the sea of tranquility in the name of the USA, the flag moved in the in the quote unquote wind. Why? Right. There shouldn't be any wind. So therefore, all of the things space related were faked and fuck NASA. Right. Well, the truth is the flag is still on the moon, still in the same spot. It was propped up by wires to look taut. And when Neil Armstrong shoved the 50-starred symbol of kick-ass barbecues and individual liberty into the ashy-looking dirt, it moved a little bit because of inertia. The inertia from moving the flag when planting created the flag, right, uh, uh, to move as shown in the video. I've read articles written by tons of scientists saying they have no problem with the flag moving like it did, all point to inertia. And if they don't have a problem, neither do I. Uh, There is also the claim that the photos of the moon landing were faked. My brain wants to point to the fact that over 8,000 images were released by NASA covering the entirety of their moon missions as proof that they went to the moon. That's a lot of photos to Photoshop back then, right? When Photoshopping wasn't as easy as fucking around your phone. But, you know, I I mean, I guess someone could hire an army of Photoshop experts, ancient, you know, pre-Photoshop experts. Uh, This is one of those claims you can't disprove. If if you really want to believe that NASA edited all those images back then, I'm not going to change your mind. You know, you you and logic just uh, don't get along. What about the shadows claim? There are multiple shadow angles in some of the moon images and there shouldn't be, right? This, according to skeptics, indicates multiple lighting sources when the lunar landing shouldn't have had multiple lighting sources, right? Only the sun was supposed to be the light source. Well, this one you can actually go debunk by yourself. You can take pictures outside on an uneven surface. The Mythbusters did this uh, on an episode, right? Uh, and, 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 you know, it took uh, pictures and it shows, you know, light uh, anomalies. The shadow argument is connected to the argument over the illuminating of many objects in the Apollo pictures with one light source. Why are there so many shadows? Well, because of the reflective material present in the moon's surface. The light bounces off of the moon's surface. It's lumpy. It provides a lot of different looking shadows. Um, you know who doesn't have a problem with shadow angles in photos taken of the moon? Professional photographers. If they're not constantly pointing out that the shadows on the moon are fucked up and fake looking, then why do we care what some random jackass in some basement putting videos on the internet thinks? Uh, another popular complaint about the authenticity of the photos taken on the moon is that the crosshairs that help frame the picture appear to be in the background of several pictures. This, of course, means that some airbrush trickery, right, is afoot, that the whole fucking space program is a fraud. No, the crosshairs aren't in the background in any of the high-definition photos. They do indeed appear to be in the background of a handful of low-resolution pictures. This is a pixel issue that is easily debunked and, and, and connects with the uh, next popular claim. One of my favorite claims uh, about the, the trickery with the moon uh, is that uh, Walt Disney used models to fake many of the beautiful moon shots and that they, uh, you know, they stapled <laughs> like down certain props uh, in, in this set. And I guess there's a, a few pictures where people think that there's staples on the feet of the astronauts. You know, they think that like Disney was doing this or something. You know, for, first they slip penises and sexual innuendo in their animated films. And now they're help, helping Nixon fake the moon landing. The appearance of staples is, again, just a trick of pixels. It doesn't appear in the high definition versions. Uh, <laughs> right. It wasn't the dudes working on Cinderella airbrush and shit. Um, also, in just lo-fi photos, if you've ever taken a lot of pictures, they just have natural defects in them. You know, there's that. Uh, I've had that in many of my own photos. 
but I'm, but I probably work for the Illuminati. Maybe I don't even know about it. Uh, what about the C-shaped rock in one of the photos? Why is there a fucking C in one of the rocks? Huh? Nature doesn't make letters. Uh, this one isn't as popular. It's, it's also easily debunked. During the copying process, somebody lost a hair. It doesn't appear on the original. Sometimes a hair will fall on a photo in a photo lap. Uh, even moon photos, right? The eyelash in your dinner isn't a sign of a conspiracy and neither is a hair in a photo. The most popular of the fake photos arguments is the lack of stars. Why, why can't you see the stars a lot better? Simple technical understanding of how photos are taken debunks this, right? Of aperture. To keep the lunar lander and the astronauts in focus in the foreground, the aperture was turned on them and it wasn't able to pick up the much more faint light sources of the stars. This one's weird to me that anyone has a problem with this. Like, have you just never taken a fucking picture? I guess you just don't know how photos work. But I mean, I guess a lot of people don't. They just push a button and that's the farthest they think. Uh, yeah, so that's r- ridiculous. Uh, there's the uh, the conspiracy about the wires, right? They're, the dash routes are clearly on wires. That one comes up a lot, you know? Um there's even, you know, flashes of light that appear to reflect offset wires and the images of astronauts seemingly being pulled up by wires after falling, you know, which points that it happened on a Hollywood set or in Arizona or Area 51, you know, or, you know, Burbank. This one just defies common sense. Like, let me get this straight. You think NASA took billions of dollars to fake a moon landing, but then left in obvious wires in the pictures. Get the fuck out of here. Right? You think they photoshopped everything else, but they just forgot the wire part? They operate on a budget of billions and billions of dollars a year, hire some of the brightest minds in the country, but they leave the wires in the photos. <sighs> okay. Uh, another photo-related aspect of all this is the man-meets-moon deniers claim that the cameras wouldn't have worked on the moon. You know, the extreme temperatures and the absence of an atmosphere to protect the cameras from sunlight would have ruined any chances of getting photos on the moon. And that's if the Van Allen belt didn't get them first. That's actually partly why I thought it was important to go over the space race briefly earlier. A lot of those early missions were about figuring out cameras in space and how to protect sensitive instruments in the extreme temperature conditions. NASA did have cameras break in earlier missions. Neil even dropped one for future explorers to find a pickup on the moon, as we alluded to earlier. Right? The engineers working for NASA thought about protecting the film beforehand. They, just, they didn't just set up, uh, send up shitty little Polaroid cameras. Uh, another interesting uh, conspiracy claim uh, comes from uh, the atmospheric makeup of the moon, or lack thereof, that makes the gravity of the moon about one-sixth that uh, of which it is on Earth. This means, in theory, that an astronaut of 185 pounds would weigh around 30 pounds, with the muscle strength uh, being, you know, of somebody with 185 pounds still. And th- this has, you know, uh, many people speculating about, uh, or this had many people back when the moon landing went on, speculating about superhuman athletic abilities on the moon. Right, it was thought that a golf ball could be hit over the horizon on the moon in one-sixth gravity, uh, that leaps of several feet could be achieved easily. People seemed to be disappointed when they saw footage from the lunar landing. Right, It was unique, but it didn't seem insanely superhuman. Uh, well, part of the reason it didn't is because of the equipment the men wore. Their suits weighed well over 100 pounds. Even if the equipment weighed as much as the men, in theory, the 370 pounds should only be about 60 pounds of force on the astronaut. But still, that's more weight. But also, like, why didn't the astronauts bounce even higher than they did? Well, probably because they didn't want to die. You know, they weren't interested in jumping very high because, um, you know, if, if their suit tears, if they fuck up and hurt themselves, if they crack their helmet, you know, th- they're going to just suffocate or die of decompression on, on, on the moon, right? And like in this environment, what kind of jackass is just going to be carelessly flinging his body around? I'll tell you what kind, an idiot of the internet, a person lacking the educational and overall intellectual understanding to realize that doing so would be extremely reckless and stupid. Yeah, if you put some fucking hillbilly up there, hey, look at ha, look at ha, I can jump. I'm on the moon. Fucking crack, 
air dead. Speaking of idiots, let's check in with him before continuing to examine uh, even more insane conspiratorial, conspiratorial lunar notions. I promised the big idiots of the internet last week. I, I hope you feel like I'm delivering with this one. Idiots of the internet. The video we looked at today was posted by the Discovery Channel back in 2008 when they were focused on science and not on dramatic reality shows like Naked and Afraid and Gold Rush. Uh, the video is called Top 5 Moon Mission Bloopers. Almost 200,000 views, over 1,200 comments. It's a quick video. Just over two and a half minutes long. It features bloopers from the final two Apollo missions, and the bloopers aren't very funny. Uh, it's not a funny video. Just astronauts singing songs or, or saying, Dad Gummit, like literally saying, Dad oh, Gummit, when they have a hard time picking up something and they fall down. The comments, though, beneath the video, to me, very funny. Right? There's gold in these here threads. Pure monoatomic idiot gold. Uh, Trog 12 posts, NASA and some fraction of the shadow government knew that the Internet's fast-growing capabilities would soon expose all that is wrong with the Apollo program and the so-called moon landing. So what do they do? Yes, they orchestrate a diversion and thus enters the flat Earth agenda. It has infested and subverted the one highly appreciated conspiracy theorist movement said. Wow, you've gone deep, buddy. Do you hear what this jackass is saying? That NASA invented the flat earth conspiracy theory to discredit fake moon landing conspiracy theorists, right? So people would take them less seriously. Holy shit. This dude definitely has a room with some sort of fucking pegboard situation. He's got strings running between different images, you know, just, just paranoid as shit. It all makes sense. <laughs> okay. Okay. They fake the moon landing. And, and they get away with it until the, until the internet comes along. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Then when they read a few comments, okay, they think, ha ha, I got to connect this. Quick, come up with a diversion. Uh-huh, okay. Uh, let's make flat earth videos. If they find out we fake the moon landing, they're surely going to uncover the Illuminati. Okay, so we got to come up with some more shit. We need to start making lizard Illuminati videos to get people to stop taking the real Illuminati seriously. Got to throw them off track. We got to start talking about a new world order lair underneath the Denver airport. Right? Throw them off the scent of the real lair underneath Area 51. Talk about the Bohemian Grove. Talk about Bohemian Grove. Take some of the heat off the Bilderbergers. Smoking mirrors. Smoking mirrors. I see through it. <laughs> Pizza Gate. That all makes sense. You know? Fucking crazy. These people are fucking crazy. Uh, Andin333 posts the next bit of insanity. Now they have blurry pictures of a black hole, which is more bullshit. How about a pic of the U.S. flag on the moon? I love how he's upset about the fucking photo definition from the, from the black hole. It's 55 million light years away, you shitbird. Got to be hard to get a solid focus. Also, you know why we can't see uh, the flag clearly now? Because it is, it's, it's not building in the wind, right? Because there is no wind. We, we explained that. It's not really photo ready. Uh, why, why make a limp reference here? Let's feel like Chattachigatilo. Why, why say it's not photo ready? Why, why poke fun of Shamecock? What is the big deal with Shamecock? Maybe loss of space rates. The real reason they not have a uh, hard pride. Hmm. Uh, Nooch post next. Somebody named user named Nooch. Uh, nobody's ever been to the moon, Jack. So what do you mean back to the moon? Disinfo agent alert. Now this comments in reference to the bloopers coming from later Apollo moon landing missions, right? But what I wonder is like if this guy doesn't believe we've ever been to the moon, why is he focusing on the words back to? Right? If, you, if you don't think we've ever been there, then the whole video is a disinfo agent alert. Uh, user Chief John Paulson posts next, and since he misspelled the word chief in his username, 
It's like, sheesh, uh, I don't expect anything smart. He writes, they forgot how to go back to the moon with 60s technology. What a crock. I urge you all to look into the actual truth that they never went at all and can't ever go because it's impossible. Uh, wow. Can't ever go? Uh, has has Sheaf uh, not seen how quickly technology around him advances? Can't ever go. I, I hope someone someday sends him a postcard from Mars. Uh, Save life post next. It's comical how fake this is. He got dragged by the cables attached to his harness, yet everything else remained stationary. Uh, I watched the video and nope. Uh, Daddy0930 then posts, we never went to the moon. Why? Because all the elements in the periodic table can be found in solar flares. That would include radioactive elements. Apollo 12 would have had to fly through solar flares for 12 plus hours. That is impossible with our technology now. So they couldn't have done it then. That level of radiation would have fried him like a hot dog in a microwave oven. What? You fucking, what are you talking about, daddy? You don't know anything about technology. Can't do it because of solar flares? Can't ever go. Case closed. Right? I, I picture daddy-o 930 uh, high-fiving Chief John uh, Paulson after this comment. Ha <laughs> ha! Told you, bro. Not ever. Pa! Um, so apparently, every single employee of every space program in the world is either too dumb to possess daddy-o's insightful understanding of solar flares. And they just futilely continue to do, you know, what is literally impossible or they're liars in bed with the Illuminati. Daddy-O has zero critical thinking skills. Fucking so They're not sending him up there in tank tops. That's spacesuits on. Uh, user Todd Peachy is a man of few words. He posts, only fools believe that we ever went to the moon. Research it. You research it, Todd, you fucking halfwit. Read books with big words that are clearly uh, hard for you to understand when you do. Words like astronomy and aeronautics and college doctorate. Stop getting all your science info from conspiracy forums. Only fools believe. What a fool believes. A man did step on the moon. That, that, wasn't even, that was not a plan, Michael McDonald. I just fucking came out of my soul. Uh, Dave Sins clearly doesn't know fucking anything about the moon or space or science. But that doesn't stop him from confidently posting the following. You miss a step or trip over and land on a sharp rock, your suit will explode <laughs> or burst out killing you in a few seconds. Yet they are skipping and singing like there's absolutely no imminent danger. The reason? Because they're not on the moon. Also, the extreme outward pressure would make it very difficult to move inside a blown up balloon. How do you close your hands and take pictures and manipulate small tools? Too many questions and no answers. Wow. Too many questions is right, Dave. Where do I start? You miss a step and your suit will explode? What are you talking about? Move inside a blown up balloon? Have you ever seen an astronaut suit? I mean, you do know that it's not actually made out of the same material as a kid's cheap party balloon, right? <laughs> it can handle a sharp rocker to you, jackass. H- how do you think they didn't think of that? Why would they ever send astronauts to space in suits that would tear like a, like a cheap saran wrap with the first contact uh, with a sharp rock? And how would a leak explode them? Ah, someone who wrote their username in Arabic uh, posts, and I just, it's not English letters, so I don't know how to say, where the fuck is Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin? Shouldn't they, (laughs) shouldn't they be on TV every year to celebrate this historical event? Media give them too much exposure, no, media give much exposure to prostitutes and whores more than those legendary quote unquote astronauts, but spelled astro and then dash knots, N-O-T-S, <laughs> astro-knots. Well, Neil died in 2012, so it's going to be hard for him to make appearances. 
Buzz is very, very old. Uh, and they're astronauts, not Instagram celebrities. They don't give a shit about going on TV now. Right? Them not going on TV every year in no way proves the landing was faked. I don't even know. It's it's getting harder and harder to even understand what these some of these idiots are talking about. It's harder to just to connect to their ideas. It's just, what the fuck are you even talking about? Uh, user uh, Nikuru posts, the moon is not what we think. <laughs> there are already humans or aliens out there. I don't think space is what we think. What are you even talking about, Nikuru? Nikuru? That's cute. Thanks for stopping by. Why don't you go sit at the kids' table? Uh, user Robert Thayer posts, I find it amusing that many people think that those of us who know the moon landings were a hoax think we are delusional idiots. Yep. But are unwilling to look at the obvious inconsistencies and make a judgment. Nope. We look. We're just fucking smarter than you. I thought the moon landings were real until I grew up and educated myself and realized they are not. Oh, Robert. Robert Bobbert. I think you have the words uh, educated myself confused with the phrase stop listening to all credible scientists and other academics. How the fuck do you look into this and come up with your conclusions? It's so easy to debunk this fucking conspiracy. Um, Chev4206 posts some uh, anti-American hate writing. It is staggering that so many people believe this moon landing crap when the fallacy of it is so obvious and inescapable. For fuck's sake, you stupid, unintelligent Americans, wake the fuck up. Your government has been fooling you in the world for decades, and their last pathetic effort was on 11th of September 2001. And what are you doing about it? Watch digital TV, eating shit at McDonald's, thanking them for protecting you, sitting back and doing fuck all, paying tax. I love so many calls to wake the fuck up and look at the truth without a single link to the truth or any evidence of how the users become woke. These people are all the same. These conspiracies, they're all the same, right? They just fucking sit in a little vacuum, right? A little echo chamber with their other idiot friends and share the same stupid ideas and none of them have a fucking clue how science works. Yeah, right. Their sources never linked to any credible scientists or academics, just other fucking dipshits on yoga mats with fucking crystals. Oh, man, this sad fuck wouldn't last one minute in a legitimate intellectual argument. Uh, okay. Uh, hey, chef, how is it so obvious that the moon landing was faked? Are you serious? Open your eyes, puppet. Uh, my eyes are open, chef, and, and my ears. Why don't, you, why don't you give me some proof? Just point me to some real proof. <laughs> it's all around you. Why don't you wake up? Get your third eye open for a change. Please point me to something specific, Chef. Would you point me to anything specific? It was an inside job, man. The moon, Chef. Focus on the moon. Their, uh, their, their suits would have, uh, would have exploded. The solar flares. Think about the solar flares. How would solar flares explode their suits? What Do you, do you even understand what a solar flare is, Chef? I, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Just please let me yell shit and never have to back up with careful thoughts and research research arguments and detailed explanations. You're making my samples so angry, Father. All of your questions make me want to put your kitty's head on a stick. I don't know. I don't know why Ed Kemper came up there, but he did. Uh, user Kid Junior 27 brings Satan into the thread to close out today's it is the internet because you know what? Fucking why not? Satan hasn't showed up. Let's bring him in here. Uh, he posts, this new, the news is owned by satanic beings. One lie leads to a million lies, and these scum have new lies all the time. The thing is, they don't care. Look at the chemtrail issue. They got people so brainwashed that they're still arguing over if they're real or not. <laughs> Frowny face. It's like living in a nightmare, wide awake, while everyone else is sleeping. Think for one second what great knowledgeable things could be on TV, and what do they put on instead? 
crime, war, hate, drugs. You know what, Kid Junior 27? I'm going to agree with you. It is like living in a nightmare. It's like being wide awake in a nightmare. Sometimes it feels to me like I'm just living in a nightmare where I am continually surrounded by a growing army of superstitious, ignorant, overly confident, paranoid, delusional, mindless fucking idiots of the internet. Idiots of the internet. I will say those idiots in the internet, man, they make me appreciate time suckers. Woo-wee! Thank God there are meat sacks who do not think these things. Now let's get back to examining theories. I just, uh, a little bit more, a uh, little, bit, little bit more thought out than the comments I just mocked, but well, maybe not. Uh, the Van Allen belt. Let's talk about that. Keep mentioning that one of the most popular and what appears to be uh, to many as a, as a moon hoax truther's idea of a smoking gun is the Van Allen radiation belt. Discovered by professional people studying space after they explored space, uh, the truthers claim that no human could in no way survive the effects of the, uh, the belt's high levels of radiation. Turns out they can, as proven by all the people that went to the moon and came back. Not from just the U.S., but from, you know, uh, the USSR. Uh, people surviving. Many people living long, healthy lives, including the, the lively Buzz Aldrin, who, as we learned, punched a truther in the face when he was in his 70s. Uh, the Van Allen radiation belt isn't an issue that was overlooked by the engineers of space programs. Uh, the effects have been studied. Precautions have been taken. The results are humans can survive the belt when wearing suits built to shield the wearer from the harf- harmful effects of radiation. Uh, what about computers, right? How can 1969 technology send a man to the moon? Uh, this one comes up in a lot of documentaries and a lot of comment sections across the internet. The Apollo spaceship had the computing power of a modern calculator. How could it do it? Well, because it had enough computing power to fucking get someone into space, right? Because they did it. That's how they did it. This one debunks itself. The Apollo missions were carried out during a time when Harrier jets were being introduced to the military theater. Uh, the Concorde supersonic planes were being introduced to the masses. There were plenty of known, eyewitnessed, extremely powerful, miraculous technology already existing in 1969. You know, it's, it's not like the earth was full of people, you know, drawing pictures on fucking cave walls with, you know, uh, charcoal or some shit, you know, fire, good, look at space shuttle. You know, it's not like we were doing that one day and then the next day we're sending dudes to the moon. There was, there was a lot of other provable technology existing. Uh, let's talk about footprints. There's no water on the moon. How could there be footprints on the moon? Some skeptics say that Neil's famous footprints couldn't exist because footprints require water and eventually nature will dry it up and wipe it away. Uh, in other words, we are used to earth where there is weather. On earth, yeah, a footprint can disappear in days or sooner. However, there is no weather on the moon. No rain, no wind. No liquid, no living things to muck it up. The only thing we know of that moves the particles on the surface of the moon are impacts from space objects. So footprint argument easily debunked. The moon landing uh, never happened because NASA itself is a fake. There's that argument, you know, and that sadly is a fairly popular theory. NASA is uh, some evil cabal filled with Illuminati puppets. A lot of different strains of the moon landing truthers, you know, seem to agree uh, that NASA is comprised of lying traitors to the human race. Everything they say or do is a lie. At the root of this NASA's fake theory is the idea that space, that the space agency is really a propaganda arm for uh, either the not space program or the super secret space program. Again, a lot of, a lot of pathways to follow here into Looney uh, Tune land. Um, I, I think this one debunks itself. Propaganda was, was definitely a major force during the Cold War. The U.S. government spent truckloads of the taxpayers' money to sell those same taxpayers. There was a, uh, the, the idea of the space race was really cool, uh, that it was super important, that it was unpatriotic to disagree with any of it. 
uh, but, a, but a conspiracy with that many people who all have to tell the same lie doesn't line up with human nature. We as a species have proven over and over again, not great at keeping secrets. Uh, NASA not actually existing is way too big of a secret for so many people to keep. Now, here's a, here's a fun one. Nazis on the moon. This is, uh, this is my favorite. This is my favorite conspiracy theory. One of the craziest moon hoax theories is that Nazis began their space program in Germany uh, in 1942, they built a small base on the far side of the moon. The theory goes that after World War II, Hitler and several of his officers escaped persecution by first heading to South America, then to a secret Antarctic base, then straight to the moon in some kind of exo-atmospheric rocket saucer. Impressive and highly illogical. Let me get this straight. They couldn't build an atomic bomb to win World War II, but they could build a spaceship and a fucking secret base in Antarctica. They could launch a spaceship from Antarctica and fly to the moon and stay there and live there. How, how do grownups who are not legitimately meant, extremely mentally ill, believe in something this fucking stupid? I, I honestly don't understand it. A Bulgarian author and self-proclaimed engineer and physicist named Vladimir Tsursky is the main voice behind this theory. A wackadoodle alert. Uh, the Nazi moon theory also asserts that Hitler's colonies on the moon, this is even better, were responsible for the mass sightings of UFOs in the 40s and 50s, right? They, they, those weren't flying saucers with aliens in them spotted all over the country. They were flying saucers with Nazis in them. You know, just checking shit out, fucking with us, messing with nuclear missile silos, abducting people and cattle and, and you know, impregnating redneck women. That's, that's so deliciously insane. Uh, this theory also explains why the, why the U.S. and Russia abruptly discontinued their efforts to visit the moon, why there was a brief two-minute pause in the Apollo 11 transmissions. During that time, Neil Armstrong and Buzz apparently had to negotiate and or fight with Nazis, space Nazis, in two minutes. Hail Nimrod! What a great scene in some crazy Nazi moon base movie that would be. Also even better, apparently the Nazis didn't just build bases on the surface of the moon. They burrowed holes down into the moon where they, where they live today. My God. Another rabbit hole in which to amble is the idea of the hollow moon and his dirt fuck uh, buddy cousin, the artificial moon. Uh, they both kind of insinuate the same thing, that our moon either uh, has or has had cities and people living and working within it. Uh, this theory splinters into different moon landing related threads. Uh, some artificial uh, moon folks believe that the moon was built by ancient alien travelers. Right, some ancient Sumerians, ancient astronauts, you know, before recorded time. They reference writing from various places like African tribes, uh, more obscure passages, uh, some old Roman, Greek, and Hebrew texts, including the Bible. These writings all reference the time before the moon. They even talk of ancient sky gods bringing the moon with them from far away to watch over and study mankind. This goes back to like the David Icke, Lizard Illuminati thing. It's this moon matrix base. Uh, some of these theorists, you know, assert that the moon landing couldn't have happened because aliens were already there. Uh, you know, there's military forces occupying the hollow moon. They wouldn't let them on the moon. <laughs> Other theorists I've discovered online seem to believe or at least assert that the moon landing did happen. And whomever, uh, whom, whomever occupies the moon met with Neil and Buzz. Wait, I guess they waved at Michael. This accounts for some lost time in the broadcast. This theory expands to claim uh, flying saucers had to be airbrushed out of several official NASA photos. No idea where this source material comes from. Just rabbit holes that disappear into more rabbit holes that bend into giant wackadoodle wormholes. Uh, okay, now back to a more, uh, dare I say, realistic uh, proof, I guess, to more proof of a moon hoax theory. Um, the original footage made on the high-quality cameras designed for the Apollo missions have been lost. So th this is troublesome. 
What happened to the footage? Well, NASA admits in 2006 that no one could find the original video recordings of the July 20th, 1969 landing. And then Richard uh, uh, Navsger, an engineer at NASA's Goddard uh, Space Flight Center in Maryland, who oversaw television processing for the ground, uh, uh, for the uh, for the Apollo 11 mission, went looking for this footage. Uh, the good news is he he was able to discover what happened to the tapes. The bad news is they were for sure lost. They were part of a batch of 200,000 tapes that were magnetically erased and reused to save money. So fuck, I mean, that does suck. Uh, and, and why would you not put those tapes in a very secure place? You know, maybe mark them with first man to land on the moon, never erase. Maybe make a thousand copies. Um, I mean, this, this is bad. This is a big mistake. But does a big bad mistake equal a cover-up? No, it doesn't. That's a conspiracy-minded, paranoid brain thinking. How many times have you lost something important, right? I had to re-get my kids' birth certificates because I fucking lost them. Left them in a file folder somewhere and just lost them. Uh, how many times have you fucked something up that was important? Me, so many times. Uh, I missed the start of a vacation because I left uh, my passport and ID at home, right? That's fairly important. Uh, funny how when we as individuals make mistakes, we rationalize as just being human, but when a big organization does it, they're hiding something. Another aspect of the original footage that conspiracy theorists feast over is how come the entire event wasn't broadcast directly to the public? Well, here's NASA's explanation of that. Uh, for audio, there were private channels between Apollo astronauts and the Houston Control Center, plus the actual video of the event was filmed and then sent to Earth. There's this whole convoluted process. Because of, of the unique kind of film made to withstand extreme weather conditions, it was then shown on the screen and filmed by a TV camera for over a half billion you know, people watching across the globe to see. You know, uh, conspiracy theorists suggest that the darkened images were necessary to hide the truth. The reality is they had to uh, they had to film the projection of the original film because TV stations weren't equipped to technologically to play the footage directly. You know, they, they, they wanted to make sure that they had a kind of a nice little highlight chunk to show people. I found in my research that it actually pained the creators of the special Apollo camera to see the live footage because they knew that their original footage was clearer and brighter. And there's so many other theories. There's so many misunderstood details that have oozed into the world as little bits of intellectual diarrhea. It's difficult to pick which claims to cover. I mean, there's secret Navy intelligence space programs to ancient Egyptian astronauts, to the financial claims of the Flat Earth Bunch. I mean, the stuff's all over the conspiracy map. Uh, you want Freemasons? They're there. CIA, you know, CIA shit for sure. Men in black cover-ups, political assassinations, uh, uh, hidden technology cover-ups. Yep, it's all there. It's all a big onion of a topic that you can just keep peeling and peeling and peeling. Many moon truthers I've stumbled upon believe President JFK was assassinated due to his knowledge of secret moon bases, aliens, other shit that makes no sense. Rather than redundantly go over all of that, I, I want to just answer two more questions. Why haven't we gone back to the moon? And does the science community today agree that it was for sure possible to travel to the moon? Well, uh, according to NASA, uh, part of the reason we haven't gone back to the moon is a case of been there, done that. Back in 2009, John Olson, the director of NASA's Exploration Systems Missions uh, Directorate Integration Office, said, there is much more than flags. This is much more than flags and footsteps. We're going for a sustained human presence in space. So they want to go bigger next time, a lot bigger. Uh, Chris Hadfield, a former astronaut, recently backed up this sentiment, telling Business Insider in 2018, a permanent human research station on the moon is the next logical step. It's only three days away you know, like from Earth. Uh, we could afford to get it wrong and not kill everybody. And we have a whole bunch of stuff we have to invent and then test in order to learn before we can go deeper out. But a, a sustained human presence on the moon will be very, 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 very expensive. Based on a variety of estimates from a variety of super nerdy tech sites, it would cost anywhere from $35 billion to 
well, uh, uh, you know, much more than $100 billion to build a moon base that could sustain human life. And then it's going to cost billions and billions and billions of dollars to upkeep it every year. Uh, that's a lot of money to get political support for. I, I mean, Trump's controversial border wall is criticized for a variety of reasons, but one is expense. You know, it would cost an estimated $25 billion to build for comparison's sake. The Apollo program, by the way, cost about $120 billion in today's dollars, but, but we weren't in as nearly as much national debt in 1969 as we are today. In 1969, we were $354 billion in debt. Our debt to gross domestic product ratio, the GDP being the kind of a good overall measurement of the size of a, of a nation's economy was 35%. That's our debt to GDP ratio, 35%, you know? Our debt, you know, equaled 35% of our annual gross domestic product. This year, our debt is approximately $22 trillion. Our debt to GDP ratio is a scary 106%. We have more overall debt than the gross domestic product for the whole country for a year. Why aren't we hustling to get back to the moon? We're fucking broke. We're more than broke. We have trillions out on credit cards. When will we get back? Probably when we have more money or when a private company like SpaceX does it or when some other country with more money like China does it. Uh, And finally, is it scientifically possible? Uh, Yes, and it was. That's the short answer. Yes, 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 yes. The long answer, and this is where a lot of conspiracies I think come from, is it's a lot of just high concept math. You know, a math that is above my pay grade, math that is above the pay grade of all of these conspiracy theorists. And if it's above yours too, just think of this. Why hasn't one, uh, you know, high profile mathematician or scientist ever said that it was impossible to do in 1969? Why didn't Stephen Hawking say before he died, no way, there's no way that could happen? No one credible has ever said that. And that alone should be all the proof a logical person needs. People like Alex Jones and David Icke are on one side of this argument. The world's entire scientific community is on the other. It's like I said in the beginning, man, it's great to have an open mind, but but don't open it so wide that your fucking brain falls out. You know, in conclusion to me, we landed on the fucking moon. The thought that it is a hoax has been debunked over and over and over again in a variety of ways. You know, I finished research for this suck last Thursday night here in Coeur d'Alene. And as I did, I was up a little late and it was kind of a nice night out. Uh, There was a great, big, beautiful moon in the sky, just one night away from being a full moon. It was so vivid. It almost looked fake. Uh, I could see with my naked eye so clearly, could see a lot of the shadows of the craters and such. And I just, and I did have this thought, you know, I thought, how sad is it that some people just cannot appreciate its natural beauty? You know, that they they think it's some nefarious instrument of mind control instead of uh, the beautiful celestial body that it actually is. How sad that the world does truly have so much pain in it, so much suffering. And then some of us have to invent even more pain and suffering instead of just, you know, taking a moment, staring up at a majestic sunlit orb and letting go of the rest of the world just for a few moments. I stare at the moon. I think of it. I get a little emotional. I actually do. I think of the countless others who have stared at this same wondrous space rock. Shakespeare, Cleopatra, Alexander the Great. You know, kings and queens, mothers and fathers, leaders and peasants, titans of industry, poets, painters, musicians, you know, Kurt Cobain, Chris Cornell, they're looking at it. Anyone from a history you've ever admired who was blessed with the gift of sight at one time or another in all likelihood stared at that big breathtaking rock in awe and had some special moment. Some moment when they were a living, breathing meat sack, just like you are right now. I stare and I feel connected to humanity. You know, going back to the beginning, whenever that was, I think of all those who will live long, long after I'm gone, who will stare at the same moon, the same moon sailors stared at when they crossed the sea as Vikings 
Spaniards, you know, or just some elderly couple holding hands on a, on a cruise. You know, it's fucking beautiful. And we've been there. How inspiring is that? We stepped on the fucking moon. You know, there's meat sack DNA, some meat sack DNA infused body, you know, was inside of a suit that was walking around on the moon, looking out at space in a whole new, never be seen way. How incredible. What an example of what we can do as a species when we, when we, when we point a sea of powerful minds and brave souls towards the same seemingly impossible goal, we can accomplish what seems impossible. It makes me think about what we could do with enough time and hard work, what we can accomplish, you know, going forward. But some just can't think that, man. They can't add to productivity. They can't push society forward. They got to try and hold us back. They got to smugly look up at it and shake their heads and just think, dumb, never happened, not even real. Nice try, NASA. Why, why do that? Life is short, meat sacks. Don't diminish what precious little time you have here by being a paranoid fucking asshole. Time now for top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one, the space race was a huge contributor to modern technology. As I mentioned, there are dozens, if not hundreds and hundreds of everyday items that enhance our lives that were developed by and for space travel. From modern medical technology to advanced transportation and communications equipment and the finest mattress billions of 1969 dollars can buy. Number two, there are literally dozens of theories regarding moon trickery. Uh, we covered several of the obvious ones and a few of the obscure. And my favorite is that Nazis launched a shuttle from Antarctica, set up a base on the moon, and then flew uh, spaceships around the U.S. in the 1950s. You know, just to fuck with Americans. People alive now actually believe that. It's terrifying. Uh, number three, the real winner of the space race was humanity. The high stakes contest was East versus West at the beginning, but would become a massive step towards human solidarity and cooperation in the end. By the end of the moon missions, two countries, along with other participating nations, would tear down their imaginary boundaries, eventually turn space exploration and study into a true international affair that we continue to, uh, that we continue to pursue today. Pretty good ending, right? Right? Russians, U.S., you know, astronauts in the same space station. Number four, the astronauts and cosmonauts of our short history in space were some of the most amazingly capable, intelligent humans we as a species have ever possibly produced. Men and women of high integrity and great achievement came together to make the goal of humans walking on multiple celestial bodies a reality. These space heroes were so feisty and strong, right? Even at over 70, Buzz motherfucking Aldrin was willing to knock a bastard in his face for the space cause. Love it so much. And number five, new info. What are NASA's most current plans regarding the moon? Like, what are they really? We kind of touched on that a little bit ago, you know? And I, and I did say it depends on budgetary considerations, but, but thoughts are being tossed around that are pretty cool. You know, right now in 2019, just two months ago on Valentine's Day, February 14th, Jim uh, Bridenstine, NASA's administrator, told reporters he hoped to have astronauts back up there by 2028. NASA currently plans to build a small space station dubbed Gateway, put it into the moon's orbit by 2026. It'll serve as a way station for trips to and from the lunar surface. Uh, before this manned program, this next one, NASA is also pushing to send scientific instruments and other technological tools to the moon in 2020. Uh, NASA's accelerated plans flesh out of the space policy directive that Trump signed in December 2017, envisioning uh, envis yeah, a return to the moon before a manned mission to Mars, possibly in the 2030s. Uh, he also added that the next time they touch down on the lunar surface, the plan is to build a base, right? Saying when we go to the moon, we're actually going to stay. We're not going to leave flags and footprints and then come home and not go back for another 50 years. And I, <laughs> and I bet when that, mace, that when that base, excuse me, when that base is someday built, 
humans are actually living on the moon, there will still be other humans living down here who still will not believe we have even ever been there. Time suck. Top five takeaways. We did it. We landed on an episode about landing on the moon. I, I just planted a time suck flag in the floor of the suck dungeon to mark that occasion. Uh, fun suck. I, I hope you liked it. It was fascinating to me. Uh, big thanks to the time suck team. Thanks to the queen of the suck, Lindsay Cummins. High priest of the suck, Harmony Velikamp. Jesse, guardian of Grammar Dobner. Reverend Dr. Joe Paisley. Time suck high priest Alex Dugan, the guys at Bit Elixir, Danger Brain, Axis Apparel, thanks to the Lily Twins, Hammers, Hammers of Knowledge, for kicking off the research this week. Huge thanks again to the new full-time Suck Dungeon employee and head of research, Zach Flannery, for his help. Uh, still need a proper nickname for him. It's, it's, it's going to come. I can't, I, I can't rush it. Uh, extra special huge thanks to Time Sucker and Space Lizard, Zach Stevens, out of Laramie, Laramie Wyoming, who runs Mountain Edge Design, Zach made a custom heavy-duty metal and wood stand for my iPad so I can hit the segment and intro buttons, right? Without, without uh, knocking my iPad around, I can do it, you know, much more smoothly so we can record straight through, not have to stop. Uh, he made it for the secret suck where, where I use a lot of buttons, and, and it's been a lifesaver, so thank you, Zach. Uh, if you haven't already done so, check out the Cult of the Curious private Facebook group, group online. Over 8,000 members now, over 2,000 members on Discord, linked to both in the episode description. Uh, and you can also link to Discord in the app. Uh, next week, we travel back to New Orleans. Love it. I wish I was traveling there in real life. Madame Delphine Lalaurie, born in New Orleans in 1787, uh, back when it was uh, Nueva Orleans, uh, Orleans during the how you, whatever during the Spanish colonial period. Uh, Delphine uh, married uh, three times in Louisiana. Was twice widowed. She maintained her position in New Orleans society until April 10th, 1834, when rescuers responded to a fire at a Royal Street mansion. I've seen this mansion. I've walked past it on a New Orleans ghost tour. It's supposed to be one of the most haunted places in that supposedly very haunted city. It did creep me the, the hell out. And, and apparently it's creeped out a lot of owners over the years. Nicholas Cage, uh, wackadoodle actor, bought the house, talked to on Letterman about how his own family members had no interest in spending the night there. It's not sure if he even spent a night there before a bank repossessed it in 2009. He'd only bought it in 2007. A lot of people think it's cursed. The mansion has served as a high school, music conservatory, bar, furniture store, empty tenement, and apartment building. Almost every inhabitant moved out within months or suffered tragedy and death. And it's supposedly cursed because of a bunch of really, really evil shit that Madame Delphine supposedly did in that mansion a long, long time ago. When rescuers responded to that 1834 fire, they discovered bound slaves in her attic who showed evidence of unbelievably cruel, violent abuse that had happened to them over a long period of time. Lollerie's house was subsequently then sacked by an outraged mob, mob of New Orleans citizens. Think about how bad the abuse had to have been for the public to become outraged over the treatment of slaves in 1834. For American Horror Story fans, the incredible actress Kathy Bates, one of my favorite horror actresses of all time, Misery, anyone? Uh, portrayed a fictionalized version of Delphine in the 2013 third season and also in the 2018 eighth season. Hearing about Lala Ree on that ghost tour in the third season of America Horror Story are what made me uh, move this topic up uh, to, uh, to, to turn into a suck. Uh, it's a dark one next week. Dark and different. I hope you like it. Now let's get a little lighter and then emotionally a lot heavier uh, as we dive into this week's uh, possibly tear-jerking Time Sucker updates. Updates. Get your Time Sucker updates. All right, well, we'll start off with a non-emotional one. Starting off with a Vikings update. Coming in from Josh House, Tom Sucker. 
Hello, Nimrod. Hello, Dr. Suckington, mixed sucker face. My name is Josh. I'm an Indiana sucker and only, and as of a few weeks ago, an honorary space lizard. Well, hello, hello, space lizard. I'm also a massive nerd, term of endearment for Vikings, Norse, and old Scandinavian history. I wanted to write you about when, uh, when I was listening to the episode 135, Vikings suck yesterday, and you mentioned twice that Vikings had worn horned helmets. I know that every other Viking-loving sucker, myself included, cringed and thought about writing to correct you. I could almost hear their sighs of relief when later in the episode you stated that, in fact, the Vikings did not wear any headgear with protruding horns to, uh, uh, um, to, to uh, yeah, in that combat situation. So I, instead, I decided to write and tell you how fan-fucking-tastic Time Suck is. I love every episode I've heard, as well as the Secret Suck and all the awesome features that come with being a space lizard. Please keep up what you and the team are doing and keep on sucking, baby. Ah, oh, thanks, Josh. You keep on sucking. And yeah, and I did get some other emails about that the horn mention. The sad thing is, I mean, I know I corrected, but the th- sad thing is, it was written in my notes in the whole suck that they didn't have horns on the helmets. Uh, two separate researchers verified that, but, th- but the stereotype of a horned Viking is so seared into my brain that I just I just forced it back in. I just threw that detail back in. Um, yeah, thank you for the kind words and keep on sucking, Space Lizard. I uh, got another Vikings update from time sucker Ethan Turner, another non-emotional one. Um, uh, Ethan, Ethan writes, a vast dearest suck master. I'm writing this as I'm listening to the Vikings suck on my Monday, which happens to be a Wednesday. And I have something to add about the hygiene habits that you talked about the Vikings having. When you mentioned uh, the Vikings were considered cleaner than most folks at the time due to many supposedly bathing at least once a week, you also mentioned that some other European royalty would bathe once a month. Well, history has shown that that may be a bit of a generous estimate. Well, I'm not 100% sure about the time frame. In many European countries in the medieval era, being nude in any capacity was considered bad or sinful from the perspective of the church. Oh, God. Uh, so bathing would be avoided at all costs by royalty. A fine example being King Louis the the Fourteenth, who supposedly only bathed twice in his life. Ugh, that's what God wanted. You know, God wanted to be filthy. Uh, And Queen Isabella of Spain bragged that she'd only bathed twice: uh, once when she was born, and once when she was married. Fucking gross. On top of that, uh, the way we treat influencers like the Kardashians—if the king or queen was doing it, then the folks at the bottom considered it, uh, you know, the popular thing to do, and thusly opted out of bathing themselves as well. An example of this is the king does it, or example of this, the king does it so we should too mentality was when the aforementioned King Louis XIV developed an anal uh, fissula, an opening between the anal canal and the external skin. Oh my God. Typically in the perineal area, basically an extra butthole. <laughs> Many of the lower class, men and women alike, would bondage their or bandage their asses and pretend to have an anal fissula themselves because the king had one. It's kind of like if Kim Kardashian seemed to perpetually have an infected zit on her forehead and kept a band-aid on it, so teenage girls would start putting band-aids on their foreheads. <laughs> but enough dirty fun facts. I love what you do. Love this community. Uh, I've gotten to grow with uh, since the start, and I can't wait to see what our not-so-little-anymore cult will go in the near future. Uh, may Nimrod bless you every day. May Lucifina keep her sultry hands from your holy work. And may Bojangles stay his, uh, keep his jaws away from your mush mouth neck. Oh, and keep on sucking. Oh, wow, man, su- such great info. Yeah, history was so gross oftentimes, wasn't it? And thanks for your kind words. Two baths in a life. Ugh. Oral sex had to have been less common back then, right? I mean, that's immediately where my mind goes. Or I guess you just get used to the stink. And that anal uh, fasciola, that is ridiculous. Copying that because of the king. How strange can we meet sex be? The strange notions we have in our heads. Uh, now, um, a moderately emotional one and a very, very cool one. One of the best updates I feel like we've ever gotten. 
This, this is an incredible cult update that speaks to the growing power of the cult of the curious. And it makes my heart so happy. An anonymous sucker wrote, Dear Master Suck, Lord of all that sucks. My name is Ray Taylor. I'm using a fake name because of the information I'm sharing with you. So this is not uh, the real name. Uh, and I grew up in a doomsday cult for most of my life. My parents left their Christian faith in 1997 and started to follow the current leader of the church I grew up in. In 2001, a group of ex-Christians created this cult. It's called, and then blank, you know, please don't share this. Uh, when I was seven years old, I was taught that our leader was God becoming and that the world as we knew it would end in an apocalypse. At first, we believed that it would be a massive natural disaster, but this changed the ideas of nuclear war, martial law, even human zombies. I'm not joking. Every family had their own gardens and farm animals, and every summer we would can uh, up all of the food for survival one day. The youth learned how to kill and clean animals, shoot guns, and other survival skills. Meanwhile, we were going to public school, watching television, and having Christmas parties like other normal children. We were told not to tell anyone about what we believed in and what we were preparing for. I cannot explain the emotional burden of believing that the entire world was ending and not being able to tell your friends, teachers, and other family members about it. But I lived this over and over again, believing that the next time the world really would end. Because I kept, you know, I'm sure changing the date. My leader was never wrong about the times and dates. We were just too selfish or too preoccupied in the world for it to end. It was always our fault, and I believed it. I was a child, and I believed I was a terrible person for not wanting the world to end. When I became an adult, uh, all of the youth in my church had left this cult, including my younger brother. He desperately tried to get me to come with him, but I refused at the time and began to become more intense about my faith and church responsibilities. I became a teacher for the women of my church and began to try to convince others to seek my faith. This intensity and secrecy cost me countless friendships and my boyfriend. But to me, I believed um, uh, they were turning away from some sort of truth and that they would die. Then in December 2017, my brother told me to start listening to a great podcast called Time Suck, created by our favorite comedian, Dan Cummins. I was obsessed immediately and binged almost every episode except the ones about religious cults. My brother implored me to look into these episodes and I listened uh, and to listen to them with an open mind. When I refused, my brother offered to listen to it together. We chose to listen to the Jonestown Massacre Jim Jones cult episode. I remember you saying you couldn't understand why these people would continue to follow a man who was so crazed and clearly lying to them when suddenly my brother stood up and shouted at his iPhone, okay, well, you weren't there, man. We both looked at each other stunned at this outburst, but then started to laugh hysterically because something had finally clicked for us, but especially for me. We had not chosen our childhood because no one gets to choose how they are raised. We had just been part of it and none of it was our fault at all. Suddenly I had a new way of looking at the world and I started to think critically of everything I'd believed and feared my whole life. I spilled everything to my boyfriend who was surprised but told me he still loved me for who I was and said that I should leave. I came to my leader and told him I did not want to be a teacher anymore and that I was leaving the church and he paused and replied casually, I didn't think you would last this long. My parents were devastated when I told them I was leaving our church. But now, luckily, we have come to a healthy understanding that we are different people and want different things. I had let this cult control me for so long, but now I am pursuing a bachelor's in history, and I love to study evolution and genetics. I'm also planning my wedding for 2020, and of course, I'm a space lizard and love to spread the word of the suck. I know this is long, uh, but you are willing to give a shout out. Oh, um, but are you willing to, to give a shout out to my brother, JRD, also a fake name, but he will know. He's your biggest fan and loves... Uh, you and has been listening to your comedy since he was a child. He was only 20 when you last came to our city and wasn't able to see you. So the shout out would mean so much to him. Thank you for pushing the boundaries and teaching people that the world is bigger than what they believe, than what than, uh, what they've been taught. Keep on sucking, especially on cults. Your humble and loyal space lizard, the real queen of cults. Just kidding, Lindsay. 
Ah, and then uh, anonymous, you know, and PS, I would be happy to answer any questions you have if you have any. Well, th- th- this is incredible. I- I- I'm so happy for you. Thank you for sharing this. And, and I'm-, I'm so glad that our cult could help you get out of yours. You know, I- I'm sad that that, I'm sure, you know, did put some strain on the relationship with your parents, but, uh, you know, I'm glad to hear that's getting better already. And, and you're going to have such a happier, more fulfilling life now. Your eyes are open. You can see the real world, you know, the real beauty the world has to offer. There is still so much pain, but at least you can see it for what it really is now. You're not just waiting for the end. You're living. You're really living. Hail Nimrod, you beautiful, brave soul. Enjoy your new life. And you know what, JRD, thank you for not giving up on your sister and for giving her a chance at honest happiness and fulfillment. Bojangles, he he might be kind of purring like a happy cat right now. I don't know that I've heard him purr before. I didn't know dogs could purr. He's fucking loving it. Keep on sucking. Get that history degree and enjoy being engaged and, uh, and and live a beautiful life. All right. So that's that's one. Now now a little quick, funny palate cleanser. Palate cleanser of an update from Time Sucker Michael Schmidt, who writes, eat their babies. Fuck, they're dead. As I sit at work playing Time Sucker on my speaker, I'm minding my own fucking business. This is what plays. As, <laughs> this is from the Vikings episode. As my coworker approaches to do some more uh, mail, I'm opposed to worker. So thank you for the awkward stares I got from my fellow coworkers who are now concerned for their safety. Hail Odin, Nimrod, and Bo motherfucking Jangles. I love it. Yeah, hail Odin. Uh, sorry, Michael. Sorry for the awkward stares. Now a cool update. For, uh, this is another non-emotional one. This is before the, the big emotional one. This is an update from a Swedish sucker, uh, Aline Gustaf- uh, Gustafsson. Or, or maybe Gustafsson. Gustafsson. Maybe I say it that way. Aline Gustafsson. Uh, Aline writes, all hail Darth Suck, a.k.a. Bojangles, Footstool, a.k.a. Oversete Suk. I don't know how to say it. It was written in Swedish. I'm a Swede and I'm a huge fan of yours. I think my neighbors think uh, that there uh, is, a, is a, a funny, loud American dude in my apartment because I play the pot on speakers basically every second I spend awake there. Just finished listening to the Viking episode and just wanted to say hilarious, zero offended. We Swedes generally don't have any, uh, don't have like a, like a super patriotic culture except for our dear right-wing extremists. So we're basically unoffendable in regards to our language and such. Uh, that's That's gotta be a superpower for you. We don't really like have any beef with Norway and Finland, but we do like to make fun of them. One saying is that Norwegians are descendants of jellyfish and seriously uh, finish maybe the ugliest, most unsexy language ever. And we Swedes are awesome. Okay, maybe a tiny bit uh, patriotic. Any hoozle, keep on sucking the sweet juice from the teats of knowledge. Halsen Gerfran Servies. I just fucking guessed at those letters. Eline. Thank you, Elaine. I'm glad it makes me happy to hear about being heard in the land of Odin and the land of Thor and Loki. I've been watching uh, Vikings on Amazon Prime, by the way. I fucking love it. Um, I hope I make it to your great land one day. And in the meantime, I hope you keep on sucking and keep on not caring. Did I like to do a Swedish voice from time to time? Hing the hoon the ding And finally, another powerful update that speaks volumes to our uh, good, uh, how much good our, you know, our growing community can do. It comes in from Adam's uh, <clears throat> uh, seltzer. The wonderful Canadian father with a Hall of Fame-like fighter of a son, beautiful boy Jacob, tearjerker alert if you're in a place where you don't want to cry. I don't, I don't think my eyes are going to be able to stay dry for this. I, they didn't last night when I was going over it. I hate crying, especially when it's recorded, but I got to share this. Adam writes, suck master, I don't know how you did it. Took time and effort and coordination that I cannot thank you enough for. I am certain that there are people working for the suck that helped. Yep, a lot. Please, please, please thank them for me. I've said it before, but I'm truly and honestly blown away by the compassion and warm reception my son's story has received from you and your people. Thank you, Dan, for the donation, for the donations, the care packages, and all the kind and supportive words. Right? We, we uh, compiled a bunch of uh, packages and then sent this for Adam and his little boy, Jacob. 
uh, who's battling cancer. I've enclosed a letter that explains a few thoughts I'd like everyone who helped us to know. If you can, please share it however you see fit. But between you and I, I don't know the future. I have no idea what comes next, and I've learned that I control very little. But I do know two things for sure. Firstly, I know that someday down the line, I will pay this kindness forward to some other time sucker who needs it. I promise. Uh, secondly, I don't know when or where, but someday I will stand right in front of you, look you in the eye, shake your hand to thank you face to face. I promise. Don't let the darker timelines you've done make you nervous. I'm not going to murder you or rape you or anything. I'm a normal human. You'll be fine. Thank you. Praise Bojangles, Adam. And now here's Adam's letter. I'm just going to take a quick little sip of water. Got to get ready. Got to stabilize myself. (sighs) Adam writes, sir. Sometimes it takes the right kind of eyes to see a thing, even though it is right in front of you. The healthy wear a crown that only the sick can see. This is in quotations. Uh, Years ago, I had read that quote somewhere else in my life at a different time when I was a different person. It didn't really resonate with me then. Now in the hospital hallways and isolation rooms and the long nighttime drives, it repeats itself in my head over and over. I see those crowns everywhere. It is easy to feel alone during this fight. No immune system means no crowns. Or excuse me, no crowds, no public areas, no visitors, no backyard fire pits with neighboring friends, no social life, no uncontrolled elements, no spontaneity, no, no, no. You step to the side and watch all that uh, moves past you. You have to ignore it and have to focus on the fight. But there are inevitably moments of feeling isolated and disconnected, feeling alone. Everything is more difficult when you are alone. Pediatric cancer is no different. Nurses and doctors swagger in with their crowns and their advice and their couple minutes of sympathy a week. Then they are gone and it's just you and this awful thing alone struggling until one of you gives in. It's easy to lose ground. You have no support. Way too easy. Looking closer, however, it would seem that I am a very special kind of idiot because I believe that we are in this fight alone. I don't know how you did it, you sly bastard. Uh, whew. Man. Wow, man, you have made all this terrible. Jesus Christ. Uh, I got to take a second again. I got to take a little break. I'll take a break from your letter. I'm going to keep talking, but man, man, man. I don't know how you do it, man, with your fucking powerful words. I've never been so emotional outside of your letters in years. Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, I don't know how you gathered all these amazing people and created this phenomenal care package for us, but you did it. We came home from yet another draining hospital visit only to find two giant boxes on our front porch direct from the famed sock dungeon shipped right to our house. Toys, clothing, food, books, stickers, artwork, and letters, beautiful, heartfelt, unsolicited, amazing letters from time suckers and spacers around the USA. The support was unbelievable. So many sweet and wonderful people sent us a giant care package, absolutely guaranteed to keep Jacob warm and safe and entertained and supported through whatever comes next for us. It is impossible to feel alone now for him or for us. I feel like I've had blinders on for months and they've just been ripped off. I thought we were alone, struggling for every inch by ourselves. I couldn't have been more wrong. We are putting in the work here at home, but this fight is much bigger than just us. This fight is in Ohio and Idaho and Iowa and Kentucky and Lansing, Michigan and all through the States, all the way down to good old Texas. After we sat and saw every gift and read every letter, I immediately filled up my new time suck travel mug with a mixture of coffee and Bailey's (laughs) in a ratio known only to me. And we walked to the lake. We sat there and I explained to Jake that we have to do the heavy lifting here at home, but out there on the other side of the lake... Man, (sighs) out there on the other side of the lake is an army of time suckers and space lizards that are watching us and supporting us every day. Now on our walk, we go to the lake and we wave to all the people on the other side who are in this fight with us. Man, we wave because we know that we are not alone and we want all our friends to see us 
and know that we are still here. We are still fighting and that we're doing okay. Thank you, all of you, a thousand times over. Thank you, Hail Nimrod, Adam, Jen, and Jake, random Canadian space lizards. And then also enclosed by Adam were two little pictures of Jake and he's a fucking handsome little man. He's surrounded by gifts sent in for t- from time suckers and all those gifts are helping him fight for his fucking life. Joe, Lindsay, and I all cried over this one, man. Har- Harmony and Alex did too. Wow, man. You keep loving that little boy with all your heart, man. We'll, we'll keep him in ours. Uh, we're going we're gonna to set our, our little mental crowns on his perfect little head. And maybe all that love and support will be enough to do what science sometimes can't, man. Maybe miracles are real. Maybe we're part of this one. I, I fucking hope so. I can't wait to shake your hand, Adam. I hope you're holding Jacob in your other arm when you, when, you, when you shake my hand. And to every time sucker who helped his family, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Man, if this ride stopped today, this alone would be worth it. Uh, we helped one sucker out of a cult. We're helping another not have to fight life's hardest fight alone. And that shit matters. Uh, matters more than any jokes or silly characters, you know, or any podcast could. Ah, uh, Love this community. Thank you all for being a part of it. Uh, special thanks to Harmony and Lindsay for putting Adam's care package together and making sure it made it to Adam. I mean, lots of, uh, lots of big hearts. Lots of big hearts working on this suck. And I'll, uh, I'll shake your hand down the road, man. Thanks, time suckers. I needed that. We all did. Have a great week, everybody. Enjoy uh, a glance or two at the moon next time you get a chance. It's beautiful. Think of Adam, little Jacob, looking at it when you do. Maybe one day some time sucker will walk on it. And if you, you know, if that happens, uh, take a time sucker sticker up there for me, for all of us. Slap it up there somewhere. Hail Nimrod, you beautiful bastards, and keep on sucking. Man, Adam got me so many times. He's got me so many times. The emotions. Uh, part of me really hopes that this has all been a big practical joke. Uh, it would be one of the best ones of all time. If after all this, he's like, ah, man, I'm just, I'm just fucking you guys. I don't even have a kid. Ha <laughs> ha, I made you cry so much. <laughs> oh my God. What a show. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support so you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.